Hello? Are we here? Oh, you're muted. Okay.
Where the hell is Hopped? What is going on? What's up, Ed? Not much. I'm I'm ready to get roasted. I feel like you ever watch uh what is it MTV or Comedy Central's roast where somebody comes uh, on and they get clapped for an hour? No, but I I'm happy and willing to clap you if that's what you're saying. Well, if it's going to uh, teach me a thing or two, then uh, I don't know. I can't promise I'll teach you anything. But are we live? We have been live. Yes. Oh, I've left him in the there oh. he is. Michael Haupt. What? Are we, what are you doing? I'm trying to find a way to keep this camera up. Oh. Can you see me okay? No, that's too Yeah, that's you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're flipped though. Can we just stay this way? <laughs> you want to stay hor or uh, vertical? Hold on, I got to figure out a way to do this. Keep, keep talking. Keep, uh, let's get okay. it rolling though. Let's get started. Yeah, where, let me open up the chat real quick here. Is Colonel uh, still streaming? Yeah, you can bring him in too if you want. I don't know. Well, if I was wondering if he might first. he might raid us, but I think no, he stopped streaming. He's done. Yeah. Oh well, next time. You see, I got this lovely new uh, white background panel. Yeah. Behind me. Looks great. I mean, it looks like yeah. a white wall, but right. Uh, it looks good. Someone says Ed looking mighty purple. I gotta change my lights. So, somebody Why in my chat so purple, one time. Dude? Uh, I don't know. I just needed a color, uh, and somebody in my chat said I look like I'm at a gay uh, nightclub. Um, mm. And you know they might be right. Yeah, something like that for sure. That's a possibility. Yeah. I might have to change the purple. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, we got you. I might have to change the purple. I'm so fucking confused. Can you guys hear me? Oh, what? what the fuck? Are you replaying your stream in the background? Yeah. All right. I think we're good. Can we just turn off my uh, mic or my headset? Or my... Uh, uh, yeah, turn off my video, right? Can we do that? Ed, can you do that from... Uh, there we go. Okay. Now we're good. All right. All right. We are live. Cool. And I think we're good to go. Sweet. Neato. Where is everyone? If you ever want to share your screen, uh, by all means. Everyone we know we we're could, here? We, we could probably uh, put this on Twitter. It'd be a terrible idea. Uh, uh, yeah, everyone's here. Everyone, I rated you? the channel already. I think we're good. Excellent. Now it's just a matter of how are we going to show the uh, the portfolio? Um, share a screen. I'll share my screen. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let me quickly do a CAD to USD exchange rate. Um. Hops, can you uh, share your cam? I'm trying to, but it's like, it's a, there we go. You guys should do an intro. Yeah, I agree. We got to figure something out. This is episode six, so it's still going to be insanely scuffed for the foreseeable future. Um, But I'm here to learn, so. 
Admiral, thank you so much for the five gifted subs, man. Yeah, Admiral's a good guy. We love Admiral. He um, he's always been fucking a champion, both in Discord and on Twitch. All right, I think we got it. There we go. There it is. Every Let's clear out account numbers. Make sure this looks good. Um, let's delete this column. Let's, man, this is a terribly formatted spreadsheet, I gotta say. Whatever, though. No big deal. Are the account numbers, like, on there? Yeah, I got rid of them. I'm just cleaning up the spreadsheet real quick. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. This is actually pretty fucking cool. What is this thing? Oh shit, I don't want you to see all my laundry. Alright, we gotta start talking about stocks at some point. As fun as it is to watch you stare at your screen. Into your spreadsheets. Uh, yeah, sorry. Well, you're good. Let's uh, discuss. Let me. Well, let me right. share. Let me share the screen. There we go. Uh, oh, let me actually rename this as well quickly. That way, simple port. Okie doke. Um, great. Can we see my screen, Ed? You want to pull that app instead of my webcam? Okay, perfect. Jesus. Now you can see what's behind. All right, I'm just going to turn my webcam off. All right. Um, is this your dad's account? <laughs> yep. Your dad yeah, owns Shopify? Is... Wow. Yeah, we're, we're in Tava Shopify. Uh, can you guys see that okay on the screen? Yeah, I got you. Uh, okay. Where the fuck does uh, Discord auto like download images? What is the default? Um, Like folder for it? Yeah. Do you know? Just just try to save a save an image on the on there and then see where it where it paths you. Yeah. And let me do it right now. Open original. Wait, so Ed, does your dad have no bonds? Fuck no. What? Okay. Well no, hold on a second. There's Here's. USFX one point three four. What is that? That's uh foreign currency. What are you owning? That's, that's are you holding USD? Or um, some. Can you, can you explain this? Yeah, oh, we're yeah. holding only some, but no, not not all of it's in USD. Uh, so people in chat are saying zoom in. If you could maybe zoom into like the first date and the weight, that might help. Okay, got it. I can just make everything. Uh, bigger font. 
and then God, look at that spreadsheeting, boys. That's fantastic. That's what we're paying for. Okay, so in our portfolio, we have in our portfolio. This is a, so we've got Uber, Shopify, Baba, Amazon, Corsair, Arc F, Take Two, Riot, Tilray, Gan, which I think is a new company, Nvidia, and WPM. Um, okay, so I did do a little bit of factor regression here. Um, and let me pull this up. Can I do my retard take real quick? Sure, go ahead. Ed, your dad, you don't have to tell me exactly how old your dad is. Your dad is in his 50s or 60s? You just Great. said I don't have to tell you how old my dad is. Well, fucking you give me a range. <laughs> He's 65. He's 65. Okay. Yeah. One of my clients comes to me with like, he's 65 years old and all his money's in these <clears> stocks. <throat> I'm fucking having a heart attack. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to yeah, have, this a, is, I'm going to have an aneurysm. Say, yeah. Like from, uh, it's ballsy though. I respect it. Yeah, it is. It's very ballsy. And you know, there's something to be said here about sort of, you know, what, what you've got, but, um, I, I'm not sure like what your considerations here are. Okay, so let's preface let's preface something. So first of all, uh, most of like the family's wealth is more in real estate. So that the house I'm in right now is is mortgage free, and okay. uh, we probably okay, own another uh, maybe three properties um, in South America, like in Colombia, that you know make income. So like this portfolio, this. 222 USD is just like the stocks allocation. I guess most of the allocation is within real estate. Okay, okay. So, so why don't you then, so real estate is clearly your like main allocation, right? As the, the family wealth. But why don't you tell me more before I like dive deep into analyzing this, what um, like your goals are for this portfolio, <clears throat> maybe what your risk tolerance is. Um, and if you don't know, that's fine. That's a great, you know, that'll segue into something different. Um, but I just like to know sort of, you know, what the philosophy is in the, in everything. Sure. So, I mean, there's a couple of things on here that I don't necessarily, uh, agree with. Um, I'm not a fan of having riot, but at the same time, I don't hate having exposure to Bitcoin, considering how it just keeps rallying while the market rallies. Um, but I, it definitely wouldn't be something that I would have in there. Um, also, you were uh, you were mentioning how we have a large cash position. Mm -hmm. um, ideally, I would have wanted it to be larger. <clears throat> so. Let's start with the goals of the portfolio. That's always what a financial advisor would start with. Yeah. So the right. goals of this portfolio are to retire and to eventually withdraw, or is this like a legacy account he's going to leave behind to you? What do you think the goals are for the account? Well, I know the goals for him is to um, have the portfolio continue to grow with the market. Uh, it's definitely, if you, if you look at it, it, it's definitely more so of a growth portfolio than, than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, as, as much as uh, as much so as I don't really cool. want this to be mine one day, 
he's very frugal. He's always been frugal. Maybe it's like that immigrant within him that like came from South America to Canada and like, you know, tried to penny pinch to, to save his wealth. And considering, you know, how middle-class we are with this money and with all of our various properties and this home, which in Toronto mortgage free, I mean, this house is probably 800 to like a million dollars plus all the properties in Colombia. Like he's done all right for himself. I'm happy for him. Uh, but this portfolio, as much as even if it makes money, I think I think him and my mom, between their pensions and between all of the, our properties, like we have a tenant in the basement and then we have tenants in Colombia, they're they're probably never going to use this money. I don't I don't really know what kind of spending, considering they're both frugal. Uh, I think my dad does this more so for fun, to be honest okay. with you. So the time horizon is super long. Like he's, it's not even like a serious like it's I need a, this money. Right. It's not. A, it's a long duration portfolio. Right? That's right. Right. There okay. So the reason I like all these questions are important because every wealth advisor will basically say you have to kind of draft a investment policy statement um, before you create a portfolio. Right. Like a very basic mandate. And a lot of those questions are, um, you know, about things like duration what your loss tolerance is, what's your target asset allocation, if you're going to benchmark against another portfolio, if you're going to add to it every single month. Do you have co consistent deposits on it? I forgot <laughs> to ask that when I first started modeling it. Actually, no. If anything, there there's consistent withdrawals from it. Okay, got it. Um, and um, Yeah, go ahead. Um, and so... On top of that, right, there's, um, uh, I guess, no, like, real target allocation, right? Because you're just sort of all over the place. Like, I would say you're a little concentrated right now on the kinds of things you have in here, right? Like, you're fairly concentrated on tech, somewhat speculative growth. You know, you're 13% in Alibaba, which isn't performing too well right now. You're 10% in Take Two. You're 10% in Nvidia. Um, I don't like this Arc F, but I can tolerate 3%. That's fine. And you're also sitting on quite a lot of cash right here too, which to yeah, me says, which I'm, which I'm very mean, excited about. That's kind of like underdeployed. Uh, well, do you right want to put now. it to work? What do you What do you think? Uh, well, Ed, you so, want to put it so I guess I guess. Um, like I said, this is for fun in the sense that as much as as much as this is a lot of money and obviously we are not trying to lose this money and do, do degenerate, you know, weekly options with it or anything like that. Uh, we enjoy like the the thrill of picking the, the stocks. The, yeah, like we and like We're when to buy, it. when to sell. And yeah, exactly. We sit down yeah, and we chat about it. it. We love that. We'll we'll do it for an hour. And and we have a lot mm -hmm. of similar uh, views on things, but we also have a lot of things that we disagree with. Like, for example. Um, I, I'm just not into like mining stocks or commodities because like my horizon is always going to be long-term and I, I'm in love with equities and companies that are like dynamic in nature. I, although I'm, I'm a hundred percent sure there's tons of ways to make money with mining stocks and commodities. Like I said, because this is for fun and we enjoy like looking into the companies that we buy and the drama behind it uh you know he loves mining stocks and he loves can be all he's always been a gold bull um so like wheaton like uh wheaton precious metals wpm is a play that you know is is kind of his his idea his being mm -hmm. so how's the, how the performance of the account 
Oh, we've been crushing it. But here's the thing: how who hasn't been crushing it? And yeah, and the, like how bad? How much have you been crushing? Like, what's the gain year date as an example? Oof. Um, uh, yeah, this what? portfolio, last I checked, it was pretty pretty good. It's in. It's over a hundred percent. Wow. Okay. Yeah. According to the, like, and so this is the back tests I ran didn't account for particular sale. Like, it was very simple. I don't have the whole trade history to backtest everything. And I need really like five years of history to properly backtest. So what I have is assuming kind of an equal allocation. And if I don't have data for what was in the place of a previous stock, it's substituted with cash. So the backtest isn't 100% sort of there, right? Like it's, I took, I only had about three hours to run all the models today. So it wasn't a ton. But if we look at, let's say, um, so let me actually show this report here, right? So this is uh, the first report I ran, which was an efficiency frontier, um, a historical efficiency frontier on the portfolio. Um, the, I ran the regression from the 1st of 2019 to today's date um, with no resampling. Um, so yes. current, this is the current allocation, right? I normalized it for no cash um, just because that's a little bit easier um, than throwing in inflation rates and all sorts of other consideration because you're also sitting on Canadian dollars, not US dollars. So if I add cash, I also have to add exchange, like floating exchange rates to the model, which is a bitch. Um, but so here's basically your current, um, your CAGR on all the stocks. Then you have your expected return over, you know, since that hold period, your standard deviation, which is a risk, which as you can see on a lot of these is quite high. Um, and then your sharp ratio, which is your uh, kind of intercorrelations. And then this is the provided portfolio uh, sort of breakdown. Again, fairly easy to look at. The tangency portfolio. So this is kind of a, a basic thing in portfolio management. The first tool that a lot of people refer to is a Markowitz bullet. Uh, Markowitz was a, a professor who developed um, a, a way to basically what's called the, the Markowitz efficiency frontier which is a way of looking at a portfolio and deciding what the optimal balance is based on historical figures, because the assumption is historical um, risk parameters tend to repeat themselves as a stock grows. And the idea here is that assuming some level of leverage, there is a perfect asset mix within your portfolio to, that represents the best um, return for the least rate of risk. It's the most efficient portfolio. And the way that that curve looks is like this. So normally you have more of like uh, you have more of like a bullet shape, like it winds out into sort of a C with a high top. And so the efficiency frontier, the 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 middle of the C shape, which would be you know around like right here, is usually the the one with the zero leverage, right? And then along the bullet are an infinite number of points with expected return on your Y and your standard deviation or risk on your X. And then as you add individual tickers, they sort of tend to float around in one area, right? So in this case, the, you know, if you had a hundred percent allocation to Shopify, that would sit around here, a hundred percent allocation to Uber that would sit around here, you know, at like a, maybe a 20, 30% or I guess a 10% CAGR, but with 50% risk or just about right. 51% um, risk, 23% CAGR. Right. Here's my problem with this, though. Uh, all this shit is relying on data that is sort of like retroactive or correct. 
And Very so that's cool. that's what I was going to get to in a second. So and and that leads into why this isn't an excellent model to use for short duration speculative portfolios is because your tangency portfolio is actually just 100% riot blockchain. But here's here's the one thing I would say to that effect. Ed, is this a post-tax or a pre-tax account? How does this work for Canada? Is it like so, the IRA? Uh, yeah. or- <laughs> so so the no Canadian idea. IRA, exactly. The, the Canadian IRA, I looked into this, um, is structured very similarly to ours. There's a contribution cap, which is basically the same um, as the U.S. IRA, except Canadian um, uh, capital gains taxes are a little bit different. So capital gains taxes in Canada, you're only liable for 50% of your of your capital gains. So let's say you make $1,000 in capital gains, only half of that is tasked, is taxed rather. With dividends, they're uh, taxed, I believe dividends are distributed to Canadians on a post-tax basis, or you file, you have to file for American taxes, and then you get a, a, a foreign tax uh, deduction uh, when you file with the Canadian IRS. And then that basically, and then you pay Canada the same, like 15% or so on your dividends. And the way that those dividends and capital gains are distributed and capital losses are distributed is a little bit different than in the US. But those tax considerations, um, you know, can make up for a difference of like three or 4%, all things considered, but then only having to pay for half of your capital gains uh, is really nice in Canada. And that's across all styles of account. The the one thing I want to point to, though, are your asset correlations. And this is the kind of thing where you can look at uh, sort of how concentrated your portfolio is, right? This is the most important thing. Forget efficiency frontiers, forget, um, you know, uh, Markowitz and and optimal portfolios and everything else. Really, what you need to be looking at is concentration risk, which is correlation risk. Um, And I was actually surprised to see that a lot of these companies weren't too intercorrelated with each other. Um, You know, it looks like really the, the biggest correlations here were between Corsair, ArcF, which I guess contains maybe some some Corsair in it or something adjacent to it, to Uber, uh, for example. And um, that was really it. Uber seems to be the highest correlated with a lot of these. Um, and then it also Riot Blockchain and Tilray, which might be constituents of some ARC ETF, right? <clears throat> yeah. So although your portfolio isn't super concentrated on asset correlations, it's still fairly concentrated in terms of like the style of stock. Um, So you have a lot of somewhat speculative new companies that might have high burn or churn in their balance sheet. Um, And, uh, you know, some, I I don't want to say like, like meme-ish, capability, but some media hype or attachment to it, you know, their, their tech or whatever they might be. Um, I like Uber, by the way. I, so as far as like picking your picks and like dissecting your picks, I love Uber. No, we love Uber. Like my I'm dad so bullish loves Uber. Shopify. I, for some reason, my dad so does, Shopify. So does mine. I've got a story on that. Sorry for cutting you off. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Baba, my dad loves. Amazon is, is a staple. That's fine. I, although I will say if this is a fun account, like what is the what's the fun of Amazon? Um, sure, we can get into that. We can get into that. It bore the fun. And remember, Amazon oh. is uh, where the fuck is it? Corsair, I like. 
Amazon is a 7% allocation in this portfolio, cash adjusted, ex-cash. You know, you know I'm going to shit on you for the ta- for the uh, ARC FinTech Innovation ETF. Yeah, no, and I got a story for that as well. All right, well, what, All let's right. do that story first, actually. Yeah, let's, let's hear your, your FinTech Innovation ETF. Yeah, I'm down for that. All right, so... Uh, when 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 I when my dad said, "Hey, you know, help me work on this portfolio," because we've been talking about stocks together for a while, and and I've been very uh, good at just like the general. I've been I'm very good at reading the tape. I might be retarded with like the actual um, technicals of like the fundamentals or whatever, but in terms of reading the tape, I I've been very good at doing that because I'm so involved in the market, and maybe that's a factor of my live streaming. So I think after my dad has seen so many times where I've said, "Hey, the market's a little hot right now." And then it pulls back and vice versa, you know, maybe we could be adding some positions. He had he had a moment where he's like, you know what, just help me. Let's let's make some money together. And ever since I, I came in, we have been doing that. So we actually had um, a way smaller cash position uh, in at the start of this year. And when this year was start when this year started, I felt as if rates were going to go higher. And that was a very unpopular opinion at the time. But I felt as if uh, the Fed and their and like their counterparties at the government were were kept on saying that they expect the economy to recover, and so I felt as if if they were right, there was going to be a trade in the bonds, and I felt like there was going to be a pullback in the general market. So I was telling my dad, "Hey, let's raise some cash," and so we actually had a couple of what I would call piece of shit stocks, um, which this is for debate. I'm going I'm to trigger people. I'm sorry, uh, but we had stocks like Walmart, and uh, we had. Uh, we had Microsoft, which is like Amazon, I guess. We had Walmart, we had Microsoft, and we had uh, like Johnson and Johnson, just boring, you know, large cap dividend stocks. And I so I said, "Your shitty stocks when you have fucking Riot in your portfolio." Well, but, yeah, uh, we're gonna. I, I mean, I'm gonna get into it. <clears throat> so, like I said, like uh, for me and why we have a large cash position is I want to use the fact that I've been very good at reading the tape. Uh, it continue to use that discretion and really pick my spots and when I want to be long and when I, when I want to be adding and reducing. So we, we, were, we were reducing uh, our positions at the start of the year while everybody was you know chasing SPACs and EVs and we were selling off our boring names like Walmart and Microsoft, J&J. And I told my dad, you know, um, look, the market's really easy right now. Everyone's making a lot of money, including us. Uh, you know, you've been around this market for 40 years. I've been around it for six years. The market always goes from easy to hard, easy to hard. It's it's like a bubble and then it, every, it, it gets complicated. So we were raising cash uh, and we had a large cash position, but he FOMO'd in. So what happened was we had Shopify initially around like, I want to say $800 and we sold it uh, at $1,300 USD. Um, but two days later, and with this is all, by the way, without my permission, like we're supposed to be working on this as a team. And I told him so many times, like, just wait, you know, let's be patient. The market will have a pullback and we're going to have good opportunities. But he didn't. He ended up behind my back, FOMO'd into Riot. He FOMO'd back into Shopify and he FOMO'd into ARK FinTech ETF. So the three biggest like or the two biggest like stocks that are in GAN as well. I don't I think GAN is like sports gambling, but um, and and he bought Whedon. But I was like, whatever, you know, that, that one we agreed on. But um. You know, my dad, like most boomers, I feel like he has that like tendency to be um, a little bit pessimistic. And that's what I think a lot of people that like these, the riots of the world or like the gold plays of the world, they are always thinking about like the next crash. I don't know if you guys know like what the Schmitza is, but there was a moment when he was like thinking that like the, 
the Jewish religion was like going to there's some prophecy was going to crash the market back in like 2017, 2016. <laughs> he really, he really believed that. Yeah. But, but, and you know, when I got into the market, he was, he was the definition of a perma bear and I was a bear as well. I think most people start off as bears, but over time I've kind of just like, we've talked about it so many times where I'm like, dude, this is a, this is all a scam. Like the market is all a scam. Uh, monetary policy, modern monetary theory is what's happening. And they're just going to keep on, you know, bringing these asset prices higher until everybody's long and they're going to crash it back down. Like I'm very big on market psychology and that's what makes my discretion. I feel like work out. So all the names like the riots, the arc F, um, a couple of those he FOMO'd in. I wish that was in cash. I, I do. Cause like I said, this is for fun. I want to have exciting names. Like you guys know, I'm convinced take two is going to, is going to moon. Um, I'm also pretty convinced that Uber is going to perform very well. We lost Moses. No, Bob listening. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm also I'm also convinced that um, Uber will do well. A couple of the names, like I like playing exciting companies, but I like buying buying them at very specific times, and I have no problem being patient for these moments. Like if I only get two or one opportunities to hit the buy button aggressively in one year, I'll do that, and that's that's what's been doing well for us. Uh, yeah. Well, it's a fun account, and the only thing I would be like reluctant to do is invoke like a capital gains tax by selling out of positions you have a large allocation towards. Obviously, I don't like Kathy Woods, so I don't like the Arc pick. But I didn't hear what the the logic was behind the fintech pick, like specifically. What is it about fintech that like excites you? Because I'll be honest, dude, it here's doesn't my excite me. Yeah, I hate it. Second. Okay, you don't like that one. Here's my problem. Can you guys see that? Okay. Yeah. Here's my problem is like so much of the fintech world, and this is why me and Moses on the pre-call, we talk about shovels. We like companies that make shovels, and that's an accurate or that's a that's an analogy for just pe- things, things that we can touch and see and feel. And so much of the fintech world has gone over to blockchain where it's like in this hazy world of like, yeah, you can find somebody that's going to explain it to you. It's like high school. What, what what's this joke? I don't want to say it because it's actually kind of cringe. It's like high school sex. Everyone's talking about it. Nobody's actually doing it. Right. It's like a blockchain thing, um, which is kind of my understanding of blockchain is like right now it, it's very much talked about NFTs run on it. You know, Bitcoin is a tradable thing, but who's like really revolutionizing the world with Bitcoin? I just don't see it happening. I don't see the smart contracts really making that big of a an impact in the economy or in the markets. We uh, we should definitely get on to that after the portfolio. I I would love to just go back and forth. With okay, you on that. so so Ed, who who put twenty percent into Alibaba? Yeah, so that that was a, him. A fairly that, risky Chinese <clears throat> stock that moves around with news about delisting and Jack Ma being fucking kidnapped and brainwashed by the that CCP. Stock, by the yeah, so that so that so that was him. Um, he, there was still a very large position in Alibaba before I started kind of helping out. Um, what happened was we were already down on Baba, and when Jack Ma went missing, and the stock uh, right before Jack Ma went missing, we sold uh, a put on Baba. We collected like six hundred dollars in premium, and then Jack Ma went you, missing. You sold a call, or you bought a put? We sold a put. Okay, we so were, as it was we, going up, you sold a put. As it was going down, we sold the put. Um, if and you, then if Jack- it was going down and you sold the put, you would have lost money. Right. So it was going down. We sold the put. Jack Ma went missing and went did down you, even did more. You, did you write a put or you had a put that you then closed the position on? Sorry. We wrote a put. 
Okay. So we were already long Baba. If you wrote a put while the stock went down, you would have lost money. Did you buy a protective put? Well, not necessarily because we. Well, yes, necessarily. That's how puts. No, it's not true, Moses. He could have. They could have closed out of the money. It could have closed the. Oh, we collected a premium, oh. and we co we collected a pretty hefty premium at the time. So much so that the the stock went lower, but it's still at expiration it of the put. It didn't go I'd... below our strike, so we collected yeah. okay. the premium. Yeah. Okay, got it. So it did got go it. lower. It's just that we collected a, a, a premium, and that was because I picked like a very juicy strike expiration, okay. and, and and there was high IV at the moment. It just turned out that the IV went even higher uh, when Jack Ma went missing. I'd want to we... see the the details of that trade. Yeah, I mean, can, I know uh, it's tricky because it's in your trade thing, but it's, it's in there. It's tricky without, yeah. So the story Trying on the Baba was we were already long it, um, and then we sold the put. It went lower. We collected the premium for the put, and we decided to add some some more Baba. I'll be honest with you, I'm not, I'm not like you know over the moon about it. I wish, I wish th that was all into like Take Two and Corsair and Uber and things of that nature. Yeah. But yeah, we we got a, we we have a bunch of baba, um, and it does make me nervous. You know, there there are definitely risks. At the same time, though, um, you know, I'm obsessed with like being a contrarian um, in like a, a somewhat educated way, and I feel like there's a ton of negative energy towards Chinese stocks right now. But when you actually look into what these sure, but uh, regulations but are going to do, there's plenty of ch of other Chinese stocks that don't have as high of a rule of law risk. You're basically fucking with the biggest company in China that the CCP doesn't like. Right. Yeah, Jack Ma's an seeing idiot. Seeing the CCP shut down Ant's IPO and then forcing them to basically get rid of all of their uh, all of their verticals except what they started on, which is micro lending, um, and then down forcing them to downsize the company and fire a bunch of people should have been a huge red flag for the future of Baba because Ant IPO got shut down like four or five months before Baba ate shit, right? So that to me is like a rule of law risk premium that you're paying for. Um, yeah, but like, but most, I agree. No, he's right. He's right. Yeah, but we're, we're talking about like Jamia. Sometimes we make we make comp comments about like you know. Sure, the and, world where there's a lot of risk, and that's, that's yeah, kind absolutely. Of in it, right, it's baked into the case, right, which sure. is exactly why a 35% CAGR is met with a 35% standard deviation. Sure, on a no, stock like this, to take the risk for sure. You have to be willing to take a very hefty level of risk in order to justify a 20% allocation to Alibaba. Like this, to me, is probably one of the riskier stocks. In the company, for its price tag, you mean like it's too risky? Yeah, for its, for yeah. Its I think it's got world. way too much risk for its price tag. So I would tend to agree. Oh, I, I agree. You agree? Sorry, Intrepid Kagger's compound annualized growth rate. I do agree. I think I think it it is um it is slightly skewed the twenty percent because this doesn't a factor the fact that we have a large cash position. Uh, but right. but and so this is like so I mean the whole reason why I, right, I purchased cash, the Patreon. cash is a riskless asset, so it's not really necessary to include. As There's far as USD and CAD are concerned, it's riskless. It's the riskless rate that goes into the 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 factor regression model, anyways. The, I use the Fama French five factor, which includes the risk free rate. That's funny because like um, I'm pretty sure the risk free rate is. Well, no, that the real adjusted inflation rate, right? Yeah. What, what's the, the real rate is the 
risk-free rate minus inflation? Correct. That rate is absolutely reflective of risk of inflation. Then. Sure. But on a month to month um, factor regression, like I did here in a, such a short period of time, it plays in a very small level of risk. So it's not really necessary to include. One thing you and Ed both agree on is that you don't believe in inflation anyway. So I guess it's fine. Oh, we yeah. are. We're in total agreement of that. Yeah. It's not it's, so much so that transitory. we don't believe in inflation. We just we just believe in, uh, I, th I think, like the Fed's ability to tame it. Yeah, it's inflation is, tra is transitory. That's what we believe. Yeah. Um, okay, anyways, let me, before we keep going, let me just run through what a factor regression model is very quickly. All right, let me, hold on real quick. Let me go get a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> so right. without, without putting anybody to sleep, a factor regression model is a quick way of looking through uh, profitability and various factors responsible for the returns of a portfolio. You can have, there's a couple different factor regression models. The Fama French model is one that's really commonly used because you don't have to account for fixed income risk and return. Uh, whereas like a Q factor analysis would account for, uh, for fixed income. Um, and the Q factor is also fairly common for modeling like very basic portfolios. The Fama French five factor model, right? Uses five factors. So you have the uh, return spread between capitalization weighted uh, stocks and cash, which is um, effect, almost your risk-free rate. You have small minus large stocks. So the return spread there, um, which is uh, uh, basically size, the size factor. You have the value factor, which is the uh, return spread of cheap minus expensive um, stocks. Then you have the profitability factor, which is the return spread of the most profitable minus the least profitable. And then you have um, investment factors, which is the return spread of firms that invest conservatively minus the return spread of firms that invest aggressively. And the purpose of this uh, regression test is to observe whether or not the five-factor model captures the average returns in the variables to see which variables are positively or negatively correlated to each other. And then you, ident you can look at uh, later on, so I don't have the regression slopes in here, but you can look at, if you model them, you can look at what's called a regression slope, which basically, um, you know, it models your average return to your standard deviation per sample size of stock, per ticker, per leverage, other weights, things like that. Um, and so this is another like back testing model, right? And the 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 reason it's used is be, is it that it explains between seventy and ninety five percent of the variance of expected returns for all of these factors. So it's proven that a five factor model um, that's directed specifically at capturing those patterns um, performs better in explaining any anomalies and excess returns that other models don't explain. Um, and so basically, once you account for all of those five factors, you come out with sort of different weights and, and results here, right? So I don't want to get too much into statistics. A lot of this relies on statistics. Um, R squared is a proportion of, of variance um, between an independent and dependent variable. So like an uh, unexplained variation over a total variation. And this is where benchmarking comes into play. So comparing something against, in this case, the S&P 500. Um, and then, so that, that's the, the benchmark that I've used. I've used spy in this case, cause that's the closest in my mind. Um, 
So these factors here, right? Your uh, annual alpha is the annual return. Um, all equity assets is the S&P 500. This is your annual return over uh, the S&P 500. So a pretty decent mix here. You know, Riot returned 300%, Tilray returned 200%. So this is your alpha, right? The reason we talk about um, T alpha though, is that uh, these are what we call T statistics, right? The T stat is, um, so there's a standard for the T stat and it's basically the number of years um, needed for a T stat of two is expressive of the 95th percentile of returns. And what that means is if you have a T factor of greater than two, um, that means that chances are your alpha is not luck. It's, a, it's in the 95th percentile of returns, which is explained by not luck, but true market conditions in real alpha. There are two things in this portfolio that have a T factor of greater than two. One of them is the S&P 500, which is our benchmark, right? Which has real alpha, because that's actual alpha, right? And the second is the ARK FinTech Innovation ETF. The problem with using, um, which basically had a market uh, T alpha T factor. The problem with using, uh, or rather the problem with looking at arc is that we know that by analyzing the actual portfolio of arc, um, it doesn't have real alpha. And a lot of its returns are explained by aggressive allocations to high growth stocks that moved as a result of options market mechanics. So that's where you have to have kind of a nuance with this sort of model, but basically in summation, right? Is that this model tells me that despite having um, low correlation to SPY, that correlation, right, and the returns are not a result of real alpha generation, but a significant level of luck and risk taking that resulted in the correlations and returns in, in, in the current weights that are in that portfolio. Damn. So basically this portfolio is dog shit. Oh, oh, what a dick. What a Ow. dick. Excuse oh. me. This portfolio has outperformed oh. most portfolios with that much money. And I don't know if you can call it dog shit. I think the efficient market hypothesis bakes into the price of most of these securities, uh, all the known information of the world. And so I don't know who you are to say that this portfolio is dog shit. In fact, I think this portfolio has actually performed quite well. And knowing it's that performed he performed quite well on a short-term basis, but what about balancing? What about other considerations? What about um, you, diversification you and lower concentration risk? You would have talked somebody out of buying Amazon in 1997. You no, would have I talked somebody. No, yeah, I you could have easily. You would okay. Well, you would have prevented them from putting 100% of their portfolio in Amazon. I would have too. But that being said, I don't think either of us are in a case to say that if this money is free, and we don't know all of Ed's dad's money, but if Ed, what's your what's your name again? It's Compost or something? Companos, the last name. If I said Mr. What? Oscar, I'll call him Oscar, right? We'll just call him. I'm not going to ask your last name on the stream. Being lucky at picking stocks does not generate okay. Companos. Right? That's some racist ass I, shit, bro. Get this guy banned off the road. You Companos, where the fuck that go, bro? Okay, Mr. Mr. Hola. Right. I say, yeah. I say, Senor Alviar, right? I'd be like, do you have other assets that are real, that you can touch, that you can feel, that you can live in? And he says to me, yes, son, I do. I have a, I have two homes and they're both making me money. I say, you know what? You have fun with your son on this, on this, you know, full ape retard account. I love it. I'm all about it, bro. You made money. 
And you know what? I, I think uh, you deserve respect for that. And I think that the portfolio is not dog shit. In fact, I think this portfolio has outperformed to your own admission, Moses, the overall market. Sure. And so, but, but, but the statistics in this portfolio tell me that Ed is not good at picking stocks with real alpha. This is not a sustainable strategy. Exactly. No, exactly. Right? And that's, so that, you I could mean, not, you've managed this portfolio for what, three or four years? How, the fuck are you, how, do, how do you know that though? How do you know no, that's no. the numbers said, don't said, lie? He said, I'm not good at picking stocks with real alpha. And I agree. That's the whole reason why I signed up for Moses' Patreon in the first place. Because as I've stated, this is a portfolio that I want to trade with insane amounts of discretion. Discretion that you can't put in an institutional mandate. Discretion that you can only have if you're, you know, some guy and his dad having fun I mean, with a bunch of, of exotic well, companies. Hold on. There's, there's plenty of funds that... Um, there's plenty of funds that have very concentrated portfolios and explain that in their mandates, right? Uh, a hedge fund doesn't necessarily have to have a strict mandate. They can, some can do whatever they want at full discretion and can have five, uh, you know, five holdings at 20% each. Yeah. Right? Like Bill Huang where the mandates loose sure. and he blows up. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Moses, what's funny is like the uh, passive investing has outperformed active investing over the last 20 years. So like right. if you, it, by your logic- Because, because passive investing reflects a real alpha score. Because the well, S&P yeah, 500 has a T-score in the 99.5 percentile. Sure. But so what if-, I, if yeah. But what I'm saying is like anybody picking stocks is going to deviate from your either risk tolerance- or your your I don't know your level of risk taking, as long as that differs from the overall market, it seems like you're considering it a shitty portfolio. Because the numbers that you're putting in again are all retroactive, and we know for a fact that passive investing has outperformed active investing over the last twenty years. Correct. So all the data points that we've put in there are pretty much in alignment with the bias that a more passive and probably overall safer portfolio. Sure. Outperform in the, the future, but the more, the more, the bigger point of a factor regression analysis is to determine the what's responsible for the returns in this portfolio. Is it manager discretion and selection, or is it luck? Right. right? And so I would, I that's would argue why, it's that's why your alpha score is what matters, because it's not because it's it's it demonstrates that there's more luck in these than there is actual factors like um you know returns okay, and, and investment and everything else the things that are included in the five factor model that determine the uh what's the word i'm looking for what's responsible for the returns walk me back from that premise so you can determine which of those two uh things is occurring um through the alpha explain that to me again like the difference or or what the significance what of this is so, okay. So the significance of running a factor regression model is to, to realize whether or not a portfolio is capturing alpha on the basis of good selection correlated to certain factors in the market or luck. Yeah. But how would it, how does it do that is what I'm asking. Okay. I, I so it does that. It, it does that by, um, con by considering, um, the return spread between the stock market and cash the return spread of small minus large stocks, which is size, the return spread of cheap and expensive stocks, which is the value effect, 
the return spread of the most profitable firms minus the least profitable, and then the return spread of firms that invest conservatively minus aggressively. And that's okay. between your benchmark and then your portfolio. So both of those things are calculated. Okay. So And there is empirical I mean, I, no, I'm not gonna on, get on, into on, reading, on. you know, a forty page Fama French paper, but these models have existed for a long time and there is empirical research that they demonstrate very well how you know what is responsible for the returns in a portfolio. So these five things that you just mentioned though are completely completely secular from his portfolio, right? So like the, the five things you mentioned, the, the large stocks, cheap stocks versus more expensive stocks, the spread in performance or returns, as you put it, between those different categories are, are, are completely objective numbers, completely separate from the portfolio that you're going to be weighing them against once you've gotten that ultimate number or that ultimate value. Right. You Am find them for the benchmark and then you find them for the, the stocks in your portfolio. Okay. So then at what point does his portfolio get measured against that net score, number one? And number two, what do you just weigh each of these e equally? Like whatever whatever value is being measured here is being weighed no. equally from- No, no, no. So, so your weights are determined by the concentration of each ticker in the portfolio, right? This is your weight here. This is your correlation with SPY, right? And then this is the alpha, this is the alpha score of your benchmark, which in this case is SPY, right? It could be different for another benchmark. What I'm saying is that, yes, so KYR says it in a nice way. It's comparing your portfolio to opportunity costs and risks versus your broader benchmark. Yes, but oppor opportunity costs in the future, which is how you judge the potential of a portfolio, are based off of like assumptions that you're making on the past, which is what we always have to compare them to. Correct. But what I'm saying past is like, performance it, it, don't dictate future results, but this right. is the closest thing we have. And again, empirical research suggests that the Fama French five-factor model is relatively predictive in uh, grading both manager performance and uh, stock selection. I just don't know how they would do that with a stock like Uber that's only been listed since what, 2015 or what it might be uh, 2018 maybe, if I'm not mistaken? 2018. 2019. I, I have it substituted so that, um, well, first of all, this regression only goes back to 2019. That's the problem. That's why I need, and this is what I said in the very beginning, is I need to have the full set of data for at least five years to really do this properly, right? But th this is more of like a basic overview of the kind of models that we use in portfolio management to, to rate a portfolio, right? So, you can't, you know, time the market with this. You can't necessarily talk about predictive indicators, right? But if people uh, make predictions on technical analysis, they can't shit on factor regression models that do the same thing. They go past, they go on past patterns in performance, and unfortunately, they're more valid than technical analysis because they look at real statistics and real return on a day-to-day -day or intraday time frame. Separate from all these things, though, is also the you know, whether it's technical analysis or fundamental analysis, I don't think either of those play into a role of most of these, the, the, the rationale behind most of these stocks. Right. You know, like Uber, for example, I don't think I would be buying Uber because of the fundamentals, um, at least not on any like comparative basis compared to any other company that might be equally valued um, or, or that the opportunity cost would be less for. And then like, you know, on the other end of that spectrum, I'm not, I don't really care about the technicals either. So, you know, I might buy Uber because I think that Uber is a household name and at some point it's going to become, you know, one of the major companies of the world. 
um, that's like almost indispensable. You can't do without it. And I think that's a reasonable rationale to buy a stock on as well. It's like a narrative play. And I think actually, believe it or not, narrative plays are that matter now more than ever before. In fact, I would go as far as to say that meme stocks or, or narrative plays are the most important factor when it comes to the growth potential of a stock and that that's not going to go away. Now, you have models that are predicting price performance or returns, as you put it, um, based on retroactive data. And that's the only way that you can run an analysis like this. But it'd be right. very difficult for me to make a judgment on anybody's portfolio, especially a portfolio like this, knowing the situation that we're in and knowing the different environment that we're in uh, than ever before and, and drawing off of the data from that environment. So that's my point. <laughs> well, well, I would say we... yes and no. So sorry, Ed, just give me one second. Because the factors inside of this model are based on mean reverting things like the spread between large cap and small cap returns, right? These are things that are documented for at least a hundred years and are relatively consistent and mean reverting through market cycles. It's dependent on investment factors, right? Large firms are generally going to invest a certain proportion of their balance sheet versus small firms. And those are also fairly consistent balance sheet phenomena. Right. So you can say that, okay, you know, this is using past information, whatever, whatever, but the actual inputs of the factors, um, you know, reliably so don't really change over the course, you know, the further out you go. The problem is, is that most of the things that you're pointing to are not even really relevant in today's environment. We have small companies with market caps that are huge. Like they'd be considered large companies based on their market cap, but they're in, in effect when it comes to you, when you look at like the cash flow and, and, and the revenue streams, they're actually quite small companies. Um, and, and yet your, your model would be like taking information from the 1970s when IBM was worth, worth less than a billion dollars, potentially. I, don't, I, I haven't looked at a chart. So what I, all I'm saying is that the environment that we're in and the way that people invest right now, in my opinion, now is, don't get me wrong. I think that this is a great time for what you would call active management. But I think it's a good time for active management in a, di in a different way, using different, you know, ways of thinking. Well, I, I'm going to have to rebut you and say that people say that every single time there's some kind of a crazy market cycle, and time and time again, the most reliable portfolio management models that we have have proven to still be the most reliable. I guess we're going to have to see, boys. Somebody, somebody, clip this for seven years down the road. We'll see what happens. But I, I think we're in a totally different environment. In fact, I would go as far as to say that we're just in the beginning of some really, really big. I can probably find you articles from the Financial Times or the New York Times or Washington Post or whatever from 2008 where people are saying the same exact thing you're saying right now. And the truth is, it didn't change. I mean, we have we have companies with PE ratios that are so disconnected, but are but are going to be around for a long time. Uber, I think, ninety nine. It took about eight years for us to um, take PE ratios back to earth in the dot com era. But I mean, back to earth is a relative statement, right? To reasonable levels, but your reasonable what? level is different. Is still, you know, it's objective, right? No. A re what you what the, the very word reasonable is not objective. The very word reasonable, your your subjective understanding of what is reasonable is is just that. It's subjective. It's it's relative to variables. 
all I'm saying is that the variables that people put into place, and I've seen this in Morgan Stanley constantly, this guy can, you know, everyone, you can make an argument, <clears throat> different ratios for any type of judgment you want to make on a portfolio. I can make your portfolio look fucking disgusting if I give it the right type of analysis, but I can also make your portfolio look really good if I give it a different type of like ratio or, or a certain score. Um, and there's, there's customers that I've seen that, you know, thought they had really safe portfolios that just got fucking whacked occasionally. You know, like people that bought Viacom as an example. That stock didn't have very much volatility. You know, there's, I, I'd imagine there's probably comp, the employees at Viacom that have like a majority of their fucking money put in Viacom stock. Um, and yet that collapsed to 25% in one day. You know, we've one seen this day. happen many times before. All I'm saying is that it's a rough world out there to begin with. And especially for a portfolio that's meant to be risky, you ought to have the opportunity to take risks based off of, you know, certain type of analysis that isn't going to be found using retroactive data. And I think that's fair, but that's just me personally. That being said, 100%, like, again, Ed, if, if your dad came to me with this portfolio and told me this is all he had for retirement, I would I would literally shit my office chair immediately. Hell no, hell no. I'd pass out on stream, and that would be it. I mean, I would, too. I would, too. Um Look, I feel I feel like we're going in circles since like the day one of the podcast. What I'm doing with this portfolio uh, with my dad is very different from what Moses aims to do. We've I've, I've like kind of coined a term for what Moses aims to do, which is like soft arbitrage. And that's what Moses is talking about when he focuses on alpha um, and, and, you know, things around it. Both people can win. I, I don't see why someone with with, you know, a a big amount of discretion on what they buy, but more importantly, when they're buying it, why they can't win similarly to someone who is looking at things from a more quantitative statistical, uh, you know, view. Again, this is the entire reason why I was so interested in what Moses was doing, because even though like I didn't buy the Patreon because we were down and I'm like, Oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't read the market. Yeah. I can't make money. I bought it. Cause I'm like, Hey, I don't do any of this. I might not even be interested in doing any of this, but I want to learn. I want to learn. I want to read what Moses is writing. I want to. I want to. I want to see how people from a quantitative angle, you know, look at at portfolios. But this portfolio is not necessarily at all what um, you know someone who is trying to do what I have coined soft arbitrage is trying to do and really capture value in sector rotation and things that Moses writes about. But it still interests me. I would. I would add to that and say, look, there's nothing wrong with having a short duration portfolio. Right. And if anything, a lot of the asset management firms are recommending shorter duration portfolios. The thing is, you still have to be careful about what you pick. You still have to consider value at risk. You still have to consider standard deviations because those things are still relatively, um, you know, within one or two standard deviations are relatively predictive of what a stock does. <clears throat> right. The thing is that. Could you call on really quick? Could you imagine Moses at a uh, like a roulette table? He'd be like, he'd be like, "Excuse me, sir, I don't think you want to go on red." Honestly uh, <laughs> speaking, forty, you only have a forty-nine percent chance of actually hitting red. You know, there's actually only thirty-six numbers on here, but you have thirty-seven chances. You know what I mean? Like that's a. Uh, I, he, do you get what I'm saying though, Moses? Like he's sure. like trying to. He's this dude's like, just let me fucking try to gamble my money away, bro. No, well, look, listen. It, it, what I would, what I would say to smart. that though is like. People use technical analysis, and in some way, the technical analysis, like combined with the 
the back data, the back tested risk and allocation models that people use are self-proving. TA looks at previous moves, aka standard deviation. When you look at a range, a, a stock that's trading in a range, that's expressive of, of you know some level of standard deviation, the normal move intraday or intraweek for the stock. If PLL trades between 60 and $75, its standard deviation you know, is expressive of that move over and over again. And in a risk model, one standard deviation or two standard deviations or a tail event at five standard deviations or at a five sigma event or a 10 sigma event is expressive of the same data that's being used and applied in a quantitative model. To, it's, it's the same data that people are seeing expressed on a chart when they make a technical analysis decision. It's the same thing, right? This is just a different way of expressing all of that through raw numbers as opposed to looking at candlesticks on a chart. So let's address that really quick at the TA part. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You finished your thought. You said so. Yeah. So the reason that this works, right? Somebody uh, earlier in the chat said, you know, 80% of uh, allocators in the market are institutional. Yes, exactly. And their portfolio managers are using these models to weight their portfolios. And we'll say eight times out of 10, it works out just fine. It's when we have random you know, two, three, five, ten sigma events that blow things up, like Archegos and Viacom swaps that nobody had any idea existed, right? When these things don't necessarily work. And yes, there are opportunities to hedge for those multi-sigma events, but most people don't do it, right? Um, ben Meng at CalPERS is an excellent example. He was invested in Nassim Taleb's tail hedging uh, portfolio and closed out his position in February of 2020, right before the crash, because he complained that the maintenance fee on it was too high. But instead, he lost something like $2 billion of a $60 billion retirement portfolio, right, of, of a pension. And um, because he he decided this, he's a terrible portfolio manager, he decided that paying uh, three quarters of a billion a year on like a $600 billion pension was not mm -hmm. worth it to hedge for the tail risk that inevitably happens every 10 years. And he was invested into Nassim Taleb's tail uh, hedge fund and redeemed his investment in February of last year, right before the market crashed. And as a result, missed out on a couple billion and lost a few billion instead. Yeah, but you know who else missed out on a bunch of money is like every hedge fund that shat on Bitcoin as an example, or every institutional player that didn't understand Bitcoin never didn't want to get involved. Um, I don't. I still well, don't. Well, really I, I wouldn't say Bitcoin. they didn't want. I I would say they said they didn't want to get involved, but they were probably buying Bitcoin. Well, usually when the big players are against something, that's when it's time to buy because they're quietly buying things until they come out and say, "Hey, actually, we like this." It's what Goldman Sachs just did. Well, this seems like a really um, convenient way to like uh, just kind of like say that every, every time something good happens, it's secretly the the institutions are getting behind it. But every time something bad happens, it's like oh well, they, they're too smart to they're so smart they avoided it. Um, well, in a lot of time and in a lot of in a lot of situations, they are pretty smart, and they have well, either avoided sure. it or been hedged against it. But they've also missed out on a lot of opportunity, and they and they get involved late in the cycle. So all I'm saying is like the idea that the hedge funds are somehow, or not even the hedge funds, the institutions. I would say because there's a lot of money managers. Yes, Fidelity being one of them. Um, 
that manage like BlackRock, Alliance, Bernstein. These are yeah. not hedge funds. These are normal asset right. managers. These are made. I mean, these manage like retirement accounts, pension funds. To your point, yeah. I mean, they're not. They're they're now buying Bitcoin. They're now getting involved in something, but they only get involved once it's made its move. Once it becomes somewhat solid, or they understand the inflows of it. Only at that point do they make their move. There's people in my chat right now, I'd imagine, who want to find the next one, right? They're looking for that next trade. They're looking for the next 10-bagger. And that's not going to be found on the balance sheet, in my opinion, of a major institution. They don't have the ingenuity. They don't have the creativity. They don't They don't have the ability to tap into it. There's well, a lot of hedge will, funds that will. have the institute. The, like, there's plenty of hedge funds that have the, the creativity to hop on that. Are you Some kidding? will, but not most of them. Like Hopped, I, I know what your point is. I agree. Like most hedge funds won't be in quote unquote the next trade, but there will be a couple of, of couple of people that will. That was uh, that was I the entirety of, here, of Bill Browder's strategy in Russia. He found he literally found companies that were trading at a ninety nine percent discount. Ed, go ahead. Yeah, well, Ed, go ahead. You were going to say something again? Yeah. So again, uh, Mo is giving me a perspective from a quantitative um, side of it, but. Let's get one thing clear. When I look at this portfolio, take out the ones that I do not approve of. So take out take out Wheaton, take out Gen, take out uh, Riot, and take out Arc. When I look at this portfolio, I don't look at it as some you know quantitative thing. I don't think of them as stocks. I literally think of them as businesses. I'm just buying businesses, and I'm more concerned about when I'm buying the businesses, when I'm adding, when I'm reducing. Really, um, first of all. I shit on technical analysis all the time because technical analysis has has hurt me in a way that for a lot of years, I felt like technical analysis was the holy grail. I was a big believer in, oh, every piece of available information is in the chart. So what's the point of doing fundamentals if it's all in the chart? Um, I was a big believer in that. I thought that fundamentals were bullshit. It was just technicals. Oh, if I just figure out the right indicators and I've realized that that is not the way to approach things at all. Do technicals have some validity and should they be considered? Of course. But I put the exact same weight on my decision to buy an equity on technicals as I do with fundamentals, as I do with overall market sentiment, as I do with uh, like the macro, the monetary policy, the fiscal policy. Yeah, it all. It's, it all it's, it's, it's all like one package. And so right. the companies that I'm buying, well, I'm buying them because of their fundamentals and their technicals, for example. Like, do I like the company? Do I believe in the business? Do I think the business is going to grow? Where, where is it on the chart? And then I consider, how do people feel about this? Because what Moses said earlier, I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, if you just make an, an investing strategy where every time CNBC runs market in turmoil and that's your like average cost, like if you're a DCA and your DCA is the second market on turmoil comes in, you're going to outperform most, most people that just have like a, a regular DCA plan. It's all like one thing, but it's not uh, quantitative. Like it's unfair to look at this portfolio with our goals from a quantitative standpoint, because it's not it's not meant to be done that way, but I'm doing it because I want to see what can I learn. Is, is is there anything that I can that is going to help me by doing by doing this? Um, and so, what interests the the biggest takeaway I've got so far was Moses said he was surprised by how uncorrelated some of these growth companies were they, when he started the stream. And that excited me because that made me feel like I was doing a good job because I don't look at, I don't look at them. I don't look at these companies, not the shit ones, the ones that I approve of. I don't look at them as like growth stocks. I look at them as individual businesses. So even though, you know, um, here's my problem with that though. Yeah. Sure, I, I feel like I'm a, I, I, you should put my, um, my camera in the middle of you too. 
because I feel like I'm the bridge between. <laughs> Are you drinking you more Josh the- wine? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sipping you, on Josh. You know, you I'm might really be a value investor at heart. You're drinking $10 wine. You wear right. white trash underwear. That's right. I think you've had the same pair of glasses for like five years. That's right, baby. Um, you're yeah, wearing a cheap t-shirt. That's right, baby. It's all $10 at Target. It's all, That's it's right. all good You dollars. are a Here's value good investor. Chat. I you are a, a real value, value investor. investor. I'm a value guy. I care about I care about what I spend, right? But I will say this. The one thing... Um, Fuck, I forgot what I was going to say. I'm not going to say this. What were we talking about? Ed, you were saying something about- Okay, oh, another thing. Earlier, earlier, we said, earlier we said PEs oh, were high. Earlier we said things it. were overvalued. I agree. That's why I, I have it. a large cash position. So here's my problem with this. When was the last time that a, a company went bankrupt and the public shareholders got liquid- like, like they got a piece of the liquidation? Does anybody no, know that? No, never. Like, it never happens. Well, I'm not sure if it's ever happened, but, but let's one say of these companies could go out. bankrupt. Right. Well, let's say our business goes out, right? Like, well, okay. hold on. Here, now, now, let me contrast this with this. Let's say that we stop doing podcasting or whatever, and we just want to take our stake out of our business. We know what we're going to get, right? The business goes defunct or whatever, but we get a piece of the pie because it's our business. Under the classic understanding of ownership, you are owning businesses. But under the current market paradigm, where in a, in a situation where a company gets bankrupt or a company kills earnings, there's nothing that directly correlates that success or failure with the price of a stock. There's absolutely nothing objective, despite what Moses says, that would ever cause you to buy that stock more than, well, I, I should preface it by saying this. There's nothing objective that you can point to that will inherently increase or decrease the value of a stock. You can say that they'll kill earnings. Sometimes companies sell off after killing earnings. Right. And the reason why is because a return whenever you own the business in reality is subject to the performance of the business in the stock market, the success or your return is subject to the performance of the stock and a stock is bought and sold separately from the business. And there's no objective PE ratio that we have to go by at any time. It can plummet. It can go up based on a whim. And so you do have to feel the market to some extent. Now, would I be feeling the market with a $3 million portfolio if it's all the money I have? No. But your dad has real estate. Your dad, you know, and you manage this account. I say this account's fine, personally. I think it's great. Um, And I think that way because I think that you probably felt more of these companies than you did, you know, do some sort of deep analysis on them. Um, But I do, don't get me wrong. Moses is absolutely right when it comes to like major portfolios like there, there'd be a whole separate side of this conversation where i would need to get your dad's you know his risk tolerance how much does he need the money all these things factor into whether or not i give it my approval if i was a financial advisor still but as it stands right now and the way you've described it it's actually perfect there's nothing wrong with it in my opinion i think it's great so to your point about the the um the stocks not being correlated with the actual businesses. That's that is exactly why I have such a a strong emphasis on on my timing. I think uh, I think a lot of people get so caught up in everything else besides the fact that the market will always correct and you know go higher, correct and go higher. Whether it's a crash or it's a correction, people for whatever reason, and that used to be me. They will FOMO into names. When volatility is at all-time lows, when indices are at all-time highs, they'll FOMO into names when the stock is up 300, 400, 500 percent. 
what I think has made this portfolio successful and will continue to do so is that sp specific emphasis on entry and doing like a large analysis of a, a bunch of different things, mostly sentiment and 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 monetary policy. Like let's let's look at the coronavirus correction for example. The market corrected on Corona, huge correction. But while everybody and their grandmother were yelling, retest the March lows, retest March lows, retest March lows, the reality was that the Fed was saying, we are going to do whatever it takes. We're going we're gonna to take the, the, the note from the ECB, and we're going to print as much money as possible, keep the credit markets going. Businesses are going to continue to spend. We're going to do whatever it takes. And so these, these moments happen again and again. Like This is not a one-time thing. Uh, in 2018, when the market corrected on the Fed tapering, Again, everybody was bearish. Oh my God, everything's going to blow up. But then Jerome Powell came out and said, nope, we're not going to offload our balance sheet. And then the markets ripped back to all-time highs. Businesses or stocks are very inefficient in the short term. And that's why my emphasis is, is on entry. But long term, you're right. I haven't done really deep analysis on a lot of these names. But things like Uber, I know Uber is not going anywhere. And I know that Lyft is not going to compete with Uber. The biggest risk, and I do consider the risk, the biggest risk with Uber is that a company like Tesla figures out autonomy quickly, gets it gets it past regulations quickly, and starts getting these robo fleets out, fucking shoves Uber out of the way, and, and then Uber's in the dust, or, or Waymo, or the, all these companies that are working on autonomy. That's the biggest risk for Uber. But I'm still excited about Uber because of their logistics and now their food delivery, their grocery delivery. Now they have like an Uber Eats pass. So like a lot of these companies, I know they're going to be around for a long time. I'm more focused on when am I buying them and why? And that's what is that's what I think will continue to, to keep this portfolio uh, in shape. And man, I can't I can't stress how much I hate looking at Riot in my portfolio or fucking why? What, do you not, what do you not like about Riot? What's wrong with it? Because if I want it's like just it's a risk on the market like i might as well it's just buy s&p calls Bitcoin. you might as well buy s&p calls like if you're in riot you might as well just buy like out of the money spy leaps you'll probably you'll probably get the exact same amount of risk you'll probably get even more reward i don't know moses what's the sharp ratio for bitcoin versus the uh the market like what's the uh well you can't call riot a proxy for bitcoin i mean it, it is a little really? bit but riot's revenues come from mining not they lease servers to miners they don't actually own bitcoin themselves from what i understand they're they're just involved in mining and as the costs of that go up and the, the risk from that increases it's not necessarily a sustainable model they're not a bitcoin company they just own data farms right, right. they're not like micro strategy they where right. a lot they're of, not a lot like their... the whatever that bitcoin uh etf is the green acres yeah the yeah the green acres grayscale or something grayscale that's right grayscale yeah. bitcoin trust yeah well well the reason why i, I do feel like it right is still pretty much just a bitcoin play is because sure they might have a bunch of software and hardware that they lease out or they or they own to, to mine but if bitcoin tanks what is that software what is that hardware good for yeah it's right. all it's all you, margin, it's right? all it's incentive based and it's margin based right yeah exactly like if, if the price of bitcoin falls but the difficulty to mine it stays the same or increases, then there's less of an incentive to do it. So fewer people are going to lease servers from Riot, right? Uh, it's it's just like inflation it. is transitory. The the use of these kinds of uh, firms is transitory. Patrick Starr's forehead says the risk with Uber is that it's a terrible business model that incentivizes a race to the bottom with no chance of sustainable margins. Um, bu -bu 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 -bu. I don't know if I agree with that. 
Uh, Uber is a terrible company until self-driving becomes the dominant technology. Then it becomes Uber, a can't Uber, Uber doesn't make money until it doesn't have to pay drivers. Is that real though? Like how does, yes. how did taxis yes. make money? Yes, that's real. Uber has not made money ever. How about taxis? Did taxis make money ever? Uh, so Uber was gonna Uber was gonna be profitable. Yes, because taxis don't have a whole infrastructure around them. It's one guy who pays half a million bucks to get a medallion license, and then he gets the car leased and he drives around and somebody fucking throws their arm out and he goes and picks them up. There's no you're not paying hundreds and you're not paying thousands of fucking software developers half a million dollars a year and and maintaining global networks and infrastructure for a fucking taxi. Taxis make money. Taxi drivers don't make a lot of money, but they make money. Uber drivers, on the other hand, get fucked. And yeah, Uber well, has not made any money. Uber will not make money until they don't have to pay drivers. That's their number one expense. The machine he payroll says it's to be, he says it's starting think, to be dangerous. I think they will Uber. flip profitability before autonomy comes, but it's going to be off the back of the fact that they're not just driving people around at this point. They're they're giving people alcohol and cigarettes and bottles right, of and they're collecting thirty percent and off groceries. The top of that. Yeah, yeah, and um, they're they're providing. They're even like getting into like delivering packages. And um, I'm bullish Uber as. And you guys are about to roast me on this. I know. I already know. You guys are going to be like you're retarded. But listen, I'm bullish Uber on a very similar too big to fail narrative from something like Tesla where institutions are going to continue to let this company lose money until they fucking figure it out. Yeah, of course. And they can figure it out. I totally agree. Moses, Moses do you disagree? I disagree. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to hear it. Like, so why do you and disagree? I wouldn't, I wouldn't use Tesla as an example of this because Tesla, Tesla's not likely to meet profitability standards as soon as they, um, uh, start selling enough cars. They need to sell more cars than they make on uh, carbon credits faster than competitors can develop electric cars. And unfortunately, that's showing not to be the case so far. Because yeah, every, everyone and their mom has an EV coming out this year that have comparable ranges to Tesla. Um, I mean, beat that proves my point. Tesla made more money speculating on Bitcoin than they did in their real operations. Does that sound like a real company to you? They literally no, can't make money. They can't make money doing their core business, so they have to speculate on a <clears throat> cryptocurrency. Tesla's number one cash flow is selling carbon credits to uh, vehicle companies that don't make uh, electric vehicles yet. Hey, I want to bring Colonel in actually. Okay, go ahead. This, um, so no, you can't use Tesla as a comparison. It's a terrible company. I don't by care all, about it. I guess the, the, the comparison is and I'm saying entire no matter how much money they burn, they're going to continue getting to its entire price action for the last two years can be attributed to options market volatility. This is for who? For Tesla. Tesla. Oh, yeah. Who gives a shit? I don't care. The, the Tesla comparison doesn't make sense to me. I'm more about like Uber being a household name. It's never going to go away. People need Uber. And look, the, the right shit's going to have to happen in order to keep them functioning as a business. These people will do whatever they need to do. 
These people are going to do what they need to do to stay active. And, yes, and the machine production part. costs are more than they make. They don't sell yeah, enough yeah. cars to be profitable. They but make money selling carbon credits. It's in their fucking balance sheets. This is in Tesla we're talking about? Yes. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm talking about Uber. Yeah, I know. I'm I answering a question that. from people in the chat. Sorry. Okay. You got you to gotta fucking... Um, we got to just get a stream for just Moses to go ham on chat. We're going to get all the Moses haters on a stream. <clears throat> we're just going to fucking give Moses the, the floor and just say, have at it, bro. We're not going to feed him for three days and just let him fucking have at you guys. He's going to tear you apart. You're going to bring uh, him I, your portfolios and he's going to call them dog shit and he's going to just absolutely tear you apart. I also think we need to consider, and I say this again, and I could be wrong, but I feel like I'm considering what market we're in. And we're in a market where the Fed and everybody else, not just the Fed, but everybody is keeping the credit markets just wide open and putting more and more like reserves and, you know, doing more stimulus and. Oh, yeah, dude. I have a theory bonds, we, like, So it's like a chase of growth. We've underwritten the 1920s with this printing. Or not, not, excuse me, the 2020s with this printing. I think the whole decade is now. You know what I'd like to invest in is a private fund that holds the rights to receivables on medallion cab licenses. Just as a fuck you to Uber. Whoever's bonding them, you mean? Yeah. Um. Oh, fuck. What was that? Lincoln. Well, oh, Look sorry. I also, I also have Fiverr, which so Fiverr, we made like a couple thousand dollars off it last year. Funny UBI. story, as, I, as I've told you, I bought Fiverr because I used I used the product. I saw the stock was up a ton. I liked it. And I saw Jim Cramer come go. on and Fe say he February shit on it. February 20th, 2020, a headline from the New York Post. Cabbies worry as hedge fund snaps up taxi medallions. Marblegate Asset Management scooped up some 300 medallions in 1,000 loans. Fiverr's there you go. Though. Tied Fiverr's to an additional 3,000 New York medallions. Boom. See? Fucking profitability right there. You fucking get residuals off of obscure alternatives. This is what hedge funds do. They don't most hedge funds don't play in fucking equities. Yeah. They do random exactly. shit like this. Exactly. They buy totally hedge, they, they buy cab medallions and invest in fucking cell towers in Africa. Hell yeah. And and buy swaps on Viacom. I'm in, yo, you know what we should be doing, uh, Moses, is setting up mm. with all this Patreon money. We should set up like a, a um, like a franchise of Dave and Buster's in Africa. We should go to Sub-Saharan Africa instead of Cape and Busters <laughs> Done. and Chuck E. Cheese's. Done. That's the real fucking value play, dude. Let's, um, okay, I'm trying to bring him in. I don't know if he can see this. Colonel, you're free to come in whenever you'd like. Uh, but yo, Ed's invested in oh. Fiverr. I wanna, Moses, I want to hear your head blow off from Ed investing in Fiverr. What do you think? Honestly, I don't know enough about Fiverr. To I'm up 10% in three days. To say yeah, bro, you can't even talk to him. What's up, Colonel? What is up? How you doing, bro? Look, I mean, guys, there, how can we not consider that there's got to be a couple of equities out there in an environment, again, with all this money printing and low rates, where the market just can't put a price on some equities? Like, when I look at the market cap for Fiverr, which is like $7 billion right now, and I think can to myself- Can you just buy Coursera and call it a day, please? You like Coursera? Oh, Coursera. What do you think Coursera, about Coursera? Coursera, it IPO today. Oh, Coursera. Oh. I want to hear what Colonel thinks about Coursera. Do you, uh, did you, do you know about this stock? Yeah, so I talked about that one. Um, did you? Yeah, talked about it on Sunday. Uh, I brought it up again, I think it was, what, yesterday? Oh, yikes. Um, yeah. So did Coursera, I mean, the, the main difference. No, I didn't buy it. I didn't hop into it. Uh, still waiting for, uh, you know, 
unfortunately all my money to clear so uh <laughs> still sitting in a, a waiting game uh for this really but, uh it's all right that's cool uh but coursera i mean the way that they have their come i mean i don't know if you guys have done the qualitative side of this uh at all um because i know a lot of people don't do like the qualitative but overall like it to me the way that they have set their business up is kind of very similar to uh to the khan academy um but and, Khan uh, Academy doesn't partner for, with accredited universities. Profit. Yeah. Um. So I mean, this platform is uh, looks extremely robust. They do a fantastic job as far as, um, you know, their marketing. At least it appears that way. What I was saying, the worry that I had, uh, which I don't necessarily think that's it's a worry that needs to be, um too much cause for concern but it might potentially be a uh, pump and dump stock but i think it's too massive to be a pump and dump so um that was originally what i was thinking because i didn't see what the actual market cap was for it true but true. i mean i don't I mean, see it as a pump and dump target at all really it's, no, it's actually one of the better ipos we've seen in the last few months yeah i'm more uh, more curious about ulcc tomorrow be listed tomorrow ULCC, what is that? Frontier. Frontier Communications? No, Frontier Airlines. Oh, pardon me. Okay. Yep. You're playing the airlines? Oh, yeah. It's a scary game. It is. You long like you hold chairs? Frontier is a discount airline, right? Yeah, remember, it's all, yeah. Frontier is a discount airline. Um, All my plays are very short term, uh, either short term swing or day trades. Nice. Okay. Good deal. So the only two trades that I have that are longer um, is both IPix and uh, MacQ. That's it. You wanted to talk about um, infrastructure. I wanted to hear what your take was on that. Yeah. So Moses, did you by chance see this thing? The, did, you, did you get a chance to look over? Yeah, I, I looked briefly over the the infrastructure proposal. Yeah. Yeah. This is. Um, Let me pull it up real quick on uh, on my screen here. Uh, here uh, for those, I'm gonna put it in chat as well. Ah, here we so go. I'm Thank you. Why perfect. is Nightbot berating Jay Swats in chat? Uh, probably because he's <laughs> posting emotes. Can we not have a, a robot that's like? Attacking our fucking viewers in chat, please. I yeah, Nightbot needs I'll to get under control. <laughs> Thanks. We need to do something about Nightbot. Hot garbage. That is a fantastic freaking description of what yeah. this is. And not only is this infrastructure oh plan not nearly enough money to fix what needs to be fixed, it's basically Trump's infrastructure plan with more bloat and bureaucracy attached to it. And we're supposed to applaud this man for basically plagiarizing somebody else's infrastructure plan. And Biden is oh, known yeah. for plagiarizing, by the way. We know he Biden. plagiarized a bunch of speeches as a senator and continues <laughs> to do so to this day. Um, so it's no surprise that this is basically him plagiarizing somebody else's work. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the 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 amounts of money here are not nearly enough. I mean, it's right. it's too small and too slow. Exactly what Corey says. So this is sell the news? Uh, on some stocks, yeah, like U.S. Concrete is probably a sell the news situation. But 
Um, you know, honestly, USCR actually rose up a little bit off of this. Um, it was kind of interesting to see it in CLF. Those were the two that actually rose off of uh, off the news. Um, and then uh, the one I will say, the one that is is that could potentially continue to run, which is kind of insane, is GP. Um, <laughs> this one is uh, very interesting. This green power, um, green power. Oh, yeah, like well, I mean, I know, I know it's an oh god, and and I agree with you, but it's they're talking about uh, redoing uh, instantaneously, like twenty percent of the school buses, the school bus fleet, and uh, that's the GP man. And GP ran thirteen percent today. It was uh, it was sitting up uh, quite a bit after hours. As I think it was another ten percent after hours. Um, Did you guys ever go to the school buses where they had no seatbelt? That was the craziest thing to oh, me. Whenever yeah, I went on, wait, what? Yeah, school buses have seatbelts? Yeah, bro. Say, yeah, the they only, do. The the uh, the seatbelts that we had were like uh, they were like in the middle seat, and that was it. Like the middle seat, over the over the, the waist. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, no, we no, didn't no, even no, have no, I'm saying I'm saying I'm saying that uh, in in the middle, the the middle seats. That was it. Oh, yep. so yeah. the entire school bus didn't have seatbelts except the middle seats, and they would put uh, you know the, the kids that needed you know seatbelts. Yep. In those uh, in those seats, it was hilarious. That's yeah, right. no, when you say middle seat, seat, did your school bus have three rows? No, no, no. It no, wasn't so like nineteen seventy seven forty seven. Yeah, about halfway down where they have like the emergency exits, there was like bigger. There was like uh, they they had a, a wider area. And sure. So there were seat belts in, in those for whatever reason. Oh, I, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of remember yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Now you grew up in a nice community, bro. I'm I'm talking. I live in Florida, bro, and they're like in the south, they don't give a shit. Your kid can go fly through a fucking windshield they don't care they don't care i had Wait, no seatbelts you just did you, did you say that i lived in a nice area what? are you saying are you talking about me no i'm in florida no no no. i'm saying are you talking about me being growing up in a nicer area because i was gonna say like, oh no i was talking about moses because moses seemed to think oh, I was that, gonna say, I was just like i grew up in the middle of fucking nowhere man <laughs> oh bro me and you both I grew up in the rural area <laughs> that's right man I, kansas I, that's right baby <laughs> I mean, Florida is less rural, but it was, it was the same thing. Okay, so AOC is going to run, you know, GB at some point. She's going to be a lobbyist for GB. So, we're long. Are you long on that stock, or what, what's your play on that? GB, GP, GP, GP. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah, GP. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I. Uh, it, it's hard to say because you know my play was x that was my favorite nue was my my long-term favorite x was my like volatility play um x freaking ran 35 percent over the last couple of days um so i just you know i'm cool with that i don't need to i don't uh, like i said i'm a day trader i i don't i've i've fully transitioned into being a day trader so i don't need to hold it out long term so i'm so curious about this so you're a day trader you you have a retirement account though that's like separately managed, or is it all in your post-tax day trading account? Uh, right now, the way that I have it set up is a vast chunk of it um, is in real estate. There's a small retirement account. Um, okay. That I, I manage it, but it's it's kind of funky. It's like some I shouldn't say I manage it. It's like semi-managed. So I just kind of I kind of stuff it into uh, some of those little funds to make it easier on myself, so I can just focus on day trading. I'm not going to sit here and, and actively manage, you know, a retirement portfolio, especially whenever I think that, uh, you know, the market is going to see. Yeah, you know the thing fall. is, 
the, the irony of the situation is because you have a tax deferred nature to these retirement accounts, you're actually better off day trading in a retirement account, believe it or not. Yeah. But that, that's expecting the same return, um, all things considered. Right. But man, the tax implications, if this is your first year of day trading, are you like nope. nervous about taxes? Nope, not at all. Really? And I'll tell Good you right account. now, I've never, I've never been nervous about taxes, ever. I don't care. Never. It's never been a worry of yours? Nope. Don't care. Yeah. Whenever no, people talk I'm about like, it, like, I think that we should tax the rich. I don't know if that's part of this bill. Is that part of the bill or no? It's over $400,000, I think. So that's okay. what he's I mean, but at the same I'm time, he's also, he's also sitting here saying, and, and he's saying that he wants to increase the uh, corporate tax rate from 21% to 28%. I it's mean, like, at least it's not 35%. Well, right. I agree. Yeah, 100% I agree with that. But at the same time, you're saying you're not going to fuck the middle class. And then he, he's, right. also, he's uh, also I think saying that the you're 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 not wanting to do things, you know, that are going to or, or no, hang on. My bad. The quote that he said, I can't remember the exact verbiage that he used, but he's essentially said that like jobs are the backbone of the economy. I was like, no, that's not fucking true. That small businesses are the backbone of the economy and you're fucking the middle class and the small businesses by increasing the corporate tax rate. You're not fucking the big guy. The, the biggest thing about the corporate tax rate increase is that um, it's been shown that a lot of the money saved in lowering corporate taxes just went to stock buybacks. So the most realistic thing that we can do if we really want to promote investment from corporations is not change tax rates, but but uh, put a stop to stock buybacks. Which I agree with. Because, 100%. because savings from stocks is don't go to reinvestment in the business. They go to reinvestment in the stock to create higher returns for for shareholders, both right. insider and outsider. Right. The board, which directs the budget, has a higher incentive to buy back their own stock than they do to make investments in long-term growth in the company because they make money faster. If somebody's on the board of directors for five years, right, uh, you know, investing tens of millions of dollars in a huge mega cap company to growth is going to yield less of a change in the stock price than just buying it back immediately. Yeah, although so, I will say... I don't I think say... That, that changing the tax rate is going to marginally help anything. Well, it does for companies. Well, it doesn't help, but it would definitely hurt companies like Apple, for example, that have really good profit margins and that have sure. a lot of cash. Sure. And not a lot of write-off potential as well. You know, so guys, it, I mean, Apple has a very tiny footprint. Right. Know, and if anything, increasing the taxes um, is going to create a higher need for stock buybacks from these guys because Dude. oh my god, the they will have less money to invest. You guys ever have these epiphany moments where it's like, holy shit, the market was baking that in. You're like thinking on like an eighth degree level. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you've got the big brain, fucking galaxy brain thing going on. And then right. you're like, holy shit, that's why the stock keeps going down. Maybe that's why Apple's tanking. It's like they're already baking into the price of their profits being taxed at a higher a higher mm -hmm. rate. You know, like that's what that this is efficient market hypothesis. Yeah. What is they, they pulled in uh, an over hundred billion dollar quarter. And, uh, you know, now they have oh, to... Yeah, that's the big play. That's yeah, I mean, look, play. if you're not even thinking that you're not eight steps ahead of the market, should you even be in the market? Yes, 100%. What do you mean? Most people aren't this is eight what I don't steps get. ahead of the market. Bro, you should you absolutely you should always be in the market. Even if you're impoverished, like you should be putting instead of a savings account, your money should go in the market. You're, right. You're no, wrong. I'm not. 
No, I'm, I'm talking about specifically trading though, Hoffman. I'm not talking about like passive investing, buy and hold. Of course, everyone should be the bar. I'm saying if we are, if our goal is to like out get outsized returns, shouldn't you always feel like you're eight steps ahead of the market? Well, the market's not a monolith. Like, we're no, talking about the market in like steps ahead. I would say just understanding the cyclical nature of the market. Yeah, you can do that. Or you yeah, that as do... well. Sure. Like yeah, like sector rotation, things like that. Well, I'm not. It's just like but just understanding like why exactly mm -hmm. things happen the way that they happen like understanding what markets affect other markets and what stocks affect other stocks sectors and subsectors and everything like that it's not just you know sector rotations but you're talking about you know uh baking in the price based off of having to pay higher corporate taxes well you could kind of figure that out after january 5th happens so january 5th you know we had the uh the seats were were taken over now at the same time there's other calculations they have to make or, or other assumptions and, and predictions you have to make senator Manchin, democrat from west virginia is he actually going to vote for this fuck no he's not not at all um so they have to find some so. republican is there any republican that's willing to vote for this i don't see it at all like i mean they don't have the 50 50 majority at all sorry this is super off the cusp and you guys don't have to reply to this but you know people lose at the casino because they don't put respect on the casino's name you know you know the meme like yeah. you better put respect on my name people go to the casino and they think that like magnets are affecting their thing or like their the casinos are watching them or something and oh i didn't hit this time so they don't put respect on statistics and i feel like a lot of people don't put respect on the fact that the market is savage as fuck. so obviously the people at the top you know like hop just had his epiphany about like these taxes of you know wouldn't you assume of course these people who have a lot of money power a lot of like they speak with people on wall street they're in bed together they're thinking like eight steps ahead like okay if trump gets reelected, what what's that going to imply How, well, how's that going to play out in two to three years do you know what i mean like you don't have to reply to this all i'm saying is your epiphany yeah. hopped like that should be like a standard uh, way of thinking like i don't know i'm, I'm maybe i'm tripping but you're tripping a little bit, but you're also speaking truth a little the, bit. I would say, look, the majority of people I talk to, like uh, Vinny's friend who had 70000 invested exclusively in ARK, who only does diligence <laughs> on Reddit, is not thinking even three steps ahead of the market. <laughs> I would say the vast majority of individual investors are not thinking many steps ahead of the market. The vast majority of wealth managers probably aren't thinking many steps ahead of the market. You can probably speak to this, Haupt, but... I think you could attest to the fact that many of your colleagues at Morgan Stanley, when you were there, were not, you know, wrinkle brain geniuses that were, uh, you know, eight, 10 steps ahead of the market and thinking about cycles six months out, not only because they have hundreds of, or, or, you know, dozens of portfolios to manage, but also because it's not in their best interest to be predictive. They're not. But they thought they were. That's one thing that's very important to know sure. is that they all right. thought they were. But Everybody a lot of individual investors think they are too, right? Sure. And that's Maybe that I'm comes down to at. ego. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Is the behavior of a 23-year-old <laughs> yeah. wealth manager at Morgan Stanley with a bachelor's in accounting is, and, and six months of on-site training in a Series 7 is not um, – you know, it is not Bill Browder or Ken. Griffin. No, in fact, in fact, those are the people that are going to get whacked first. I, I have always exactly. said this market, this market destroys people with 110 IQs. If you're just smarter than average, this market is going to absolutely destroy your brain. Like it's going to, it's going to, so you, you have, have to, to almost, be either like a 150 IQ or a 70 IQ. Or you have to be like me. With 70, a let's go. 70s rise up. Put 70s in chat. Let's go. Yeah, let's get some 70s in chat, please. Low IQ fellas represent. The collective IQ of my chat is literally 69. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> where where are my is. where are my Mensa fellows at? 
All yeah, right. here's here's Moses with his fucking Galaxy three thousand. I should I should wear my Mensa pin every time we stream right. in the future. But no, I I totally I mean you can you can talk yourself into such if you're intelligent you can talk yourself into whatever you want. That's why I distrust so much. I always distrust things. You know I'm a very but skeptical if, but if person. you're truly smart, then you know the things that you don't know. Right. Yeah. For oh, sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a good strat to to feel dumb, so that way you're always like on your toes. I guess. Isn't that how people blow up? Like this fucking Bill Huang guy. He uh, he was averaging like, what sixteen percent returns every year since the start of his fund. He had no mandate. The people who invested in his fund, they knew that. No, they, he, nobody they, invested in his fund. He was a family office. A family office. So, so it was only his. It was his money and some people in his family. That's it. Chip chat that quote is hilarious. A podcast I heard a while back from a guy who runs a prop firm says that my best traders are A plus and C minus students. That's a beautiful <laughs> way to put that. Because they can't be D's. You know, there's there's you have to be able to you have to have enough intelligence to open up an account. <laughs> to to do some <laughs> to do some math. Right. <laughs> to do a little bit of math. Wait, but I thought I thought C was average. C is average, yeah. D I was I said D. Anything yeah. D or below and we're in trouble. Yeah. Right. I was a C student. I didn't give I hated school. I hated school. Yeah, right. But the B students are the ones who try a little too hard but can't quite meet the curve, right? The people mm. who get A pluses consistently are usually the people who it comes to kind of effortlessly. There's nothing more embarrassing right. than being a B student. You should really Oh, totally. Yeah, cuz your parents are like, "What the fuck? You're 5 points away from an A." Right. right. Cool. And then cool. colleges Thanks. are like, okay, you're super average. Fuck you. We're not going to, like you know, you're good enough to get into this school, but we're not going to give you merit money. It's actually really cringe to be B. A B my, yeah. my first year university average was 69. I shit you not. 69.6. I got rounded up oh, to a 70. I kept my co-op. I swear oh to God. My God. I ended up dropping out the day trade, which was even more retarded, but let's not get into that. Yeah, that's pretty retarded. Yeah. Colonel, not to say that you're retarded for being a day trader. I think you should follow your dreams. And as Terrible Traders, Ed's uh, former SoundCloud name, you should chase dreams, chase visions. And I encourage you to oh, do yeah. it. I hope you make okay, all the money. Okay, dude. That's uncalled for. I hope you chase your visions. I mean, as I've, I've said this, you know, I've, I've done day trading in the past. I used to do it quite a significant amount back in, I think, I mean, over the past eight years. I mean, I've been an active trader eight or nine years. Um, with a two-year break and uh, in, in between that but uh you know, for the most part like i was doing day trading whenever I, I really first got active and then over the past like three years i've been more of like a swing trading you know longer term swing trader so it's, it's changed quite a bit um i mean i've been successful with it i mean that's i i don't i can't really complain about it my swing trading like last year it was over 300% return last year. So that's fantastic. I can't, I can't complain. And then this year alone, I mean, I'm already sitting at, I think 125%. That was with February being dog shit. See, to me, the whole point of this. Yeah, whole, like, February was no bueno. Yeah. Yeah. February was a tough month. That was a toughie. It didn't have to be though. It didn't have to be. No, it didn't. That's if all I'm I, saying. If I would have been using my brain, you know, cause I was sitting there warning everybody and then, you know, like, for whatever re reason, my freaking smooth ass brain uh, was didn't like, listen hey, to you know, your warnings. Yeah, sometimes you spend myself, so much time yeah. telling other people what's wrong, you forget to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then you know, yeah, there, like looking at yields and staring at yields, I was like, hey, maybe I should get out of DQ. Hey, yeah. Hey, hey, dumbass. Maybe you should get out. And then DQ from one hundred and five dollars. 
straight to the core. <laughs> and that's yeah. what destroyed me in February. February white. Uh, I was I was up. I mean, I was up. Um, I'd have to go back and look. I think I was up like 10, 12 percent uh, midway through February. And then I took that freaking trade and and it was it was GG well played on that one. Oh, my God. That wiped out all my gains. I ended the month like 0.6 percent up. <laughs> it was pathetic. Uh, Has there ever been a better time to be a day trader? This is probably the best time, right? With all the like a retail morons. And- yeah, probably. But oh, yeah, no, I would say you still have to be careful about it, right? Swing. Well, pe- people were literally moving to New York in 1999. That was the thing. Um, yeah. Well, they needed to be as close as possible to the stock exchange, right? Fair enough. So I you guess know? people people and would that do was, the same. That was even quants ten years ago. They did that. You know, they opening up an office in. You wanted to open up an office like right across the river from the stock exchange. So the broadband would be the closest possible path of traveling. Moses, what's you know? your uh, review of Flash Boys? That's the name, right? Michael yep. Lewis about HFDs. Yeah. What's, what's your review on that book? I only read the beginning, but I like the beginning. I haven't, I haven't read that book, actually. It's pretty good. I, I recommend. I mean, again, I've only read the beginning, but I enjoyed it's it. It's a weird Michael take. Lewis writes pretty well. Um, but no, I, I haven't gotten to that one quite yet. I have a lot of other books to read. I liked Liar's Poker, um, which is, you know, his better, uh, his better book, in my opinion. The Big Short was okay. The, I think, honestly, the movie was better than the book, but that margin call still has the biggest place in my heart. Yeah, no, for as sure. a finance movie, I'd love to get a, like a margin call poster or something. I'd buy that one day. <laughs> that'd be nice. Margin call would be a nice. Freaking movie. That was. You like uh, best okay. one. Can we talk about Kushchart for a sec? So you know, I you guys want more about Kushchart? Yeah, why don't you put that fucking ninety part of that ninety k into Kushchart, please? I am, I am going to one hundred percent, and it's all thanks to you. And I read your DD on it. I um, buy three hundred shares or something. I will definitely put some to work. I'm gonna wait until there's a little bit of blood on the streets. Uh, you know, what, maybe when there's wasn't there a stock we talked about a couple days ago that I wanted to do some diligence on? Do you guys remember uh, what it was? It rings a bell, but. There was something I said I wanted to really dive into, this is on but Sunday. I didn't write it down. Oh, restoration hardware. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but with uh, Kushtar, do you guys know what Max Milk is? No. That was like Kushtar's original brand. It was called Max Milk. It had an owl. It was a super nice, nice logo. Then they changed it all to Circle K. I don't know. That's right, baby. I don't know. Well, Max got <laughs> bought out by by Kushtard. Oh, that's what happened? Gotcha. Yes. Ah. Yes, that was a big acquisition. Ah. Um but uh the founders of Kushtard aren't the founders of Max. Max started in the 60s and Kushtard started in the 90s and they bought the whole company. That was one of their big acquisitions in like 20 the early to like the early to mid 2000s, like around 2010-2011. And then um, they took it and renamed all the stores to Circle K to, to homogenize the brand. I want to ask you about management, Mo, because you said Max started in the 60s and Kush started in the 90s and they ended mm-hmm. up buying them out. So that has to say a lot about the, the brains of the people behind Kush. Yeah. You mentioned in your writing that they're going to be retiring or leaving. They're what retiring. Is- they're 65 this year and they're the reason for the existence of... Um, uh of the class a b share structure which is probably going to get retired which is supposed to get retired along with them 
um, because the founders control most of the class A shares, which have 10 voting, 10 votes to each B class one vote. Um, and it's very likely that it's going to uh, merge and they're just going to end up listing it properly in the U.S. Wait, are we talking uh, about TARD or Cooch? Both. Both. Oh, they're both yeah. Okay. yeah. No, but like, don't you think that potentially that could be a little bit of a bearish? Do you, have, do you know anything no, about the people that are going to take don't over? I think so. No, the board of directors is fine. Um, they actually voted against continuing the share structure because they want more control um, over everything. So... Intrepid, can you imagine a more fucking like disruptive question than Moses? How do you manage risk in your portfolio? Do you want this to be a <laughs> how fucking long do you want this podcast to be? What an asshole question. Uh, yeah, so we can talk about that later. Subversive, bro. We can talk about that later. I wanted to, to talk about this last week, but you guys kept interrupting me. No problem. You um, know what I can? You know what I can here we do go. is See? is in the article so i was planning on doing an article modeling ed's portfolio like really going deeper into the substitutions and like going stuff back five years um but what i think i might actually do is look at my long term like my long duration portfolio and model it against ed's and talk about the differences in our risk management and everything i would love right, that i'd love but that. if he wins what is we got to admit there's got to be a wager of some sort and not money. You want a wager? Well, if you ask me to determine a winner or loser, you know, I'm just going to skew the models to make me win. Right. So you can't. Let's see you do it then, bitch. You but guys, we can't compare <laughs> these. They're so different. Yeah. I mean, How I'm going to have compare like these things? REITs and fucking random mid caps in there. Yeah. Well, it's not, the, it's not like the same. Value. It's not the same. It's not. The, he's, he's trying to get, he's trying to make sure that he makes money no, 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 no. regardless of what the market does. That's his goal. No. His goal is to make money no matter what. Okay, my, well, goal, my goal no, is to get lucky. Okay. Well, let's let's say this. Ed, do you think that you can outperform on a month basis with your stock picks? Do you think by this? Because we're in the beginning of a month. This is what this is March 31st. Tomorrow is April 1st. That's right. The new quarter. Right? So we got Q2 a month. 21. Is a month long enough for you? I think a month is long enough. No, it's not. Well, it's not. Well, Come on, you can't because like... because my strategy is based on entry and taking one to two opportunities every year. If 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 such of like, you know, high volatility, some news based thing where people are panicking. Like I like to buy when there's blood on the streets and reduce when everyone is euphoric, and that's it. And so, so I don't know. I don't know when the next massive correction is coming. I don't know when fix is going to go to forty. Or how are you? Are you saying you want to compare like our month to month performance? Yeah, I want. I want by this time next month. If there was a wager on the table, oh, I'll. I'll I mean, if I'll, Ed I'll, sticks I'll, to I'll his do. stocks and he's he has conviction on them, sure, we can do that. Yeah, I would be down to do like on a year, not month to month, because that's not my strat. But that's Moses' strat. Like being like invested more. He was asking me why do I have a large cash position? Because his strat is to having his money go to work. He said, why don't you have that money going to work? Moses wants to put his money putting to money work. to work in short duration investments right now is probably what's going to make you the most amount of money. That's just that's just the case right now in portfolio management. Like, all right, everybody, pick a stock for the month. A stock for the month? <laughs> yeah, yeah. For April, Christ, you're asking a lot. A stock for April. <laughs> One stock. April stock. April. Um, XLI. <laughs> <laughs> bastard. Ed, Edward. Edward. Fiverr. 
what fiber. And, and, and also Corona, um, these strains are getting a little bit more fucked up. So the one in Brazil, the mortality rate is up by like 300%. I think the original Corona strain is like 0.4%. Brazil's is like 1.4, Yeah, we're getting a lot of lockdowns here. Maybe I'll so, just say, uh, you know, I'm let's with fiber buy fucking, sure. maybe I'll just say Zoom. Fuck it. Hey, you can't change your pick after I just gave you a Corona bear case. You're sticking with XLI. Like what? Fine, fine, fine. Right. XL, fine. Right. XLI. All right. No, I'm just, just stick to your guns. Stick up for yourself. Yeah. All right. I'm sticking <laughs> to my guns. XLI. All you right. have the sharp. You have the sharp McClonsky fucking blah blah blah, blah revenue uh, ratio on your side. Don't give that up. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Colonel, what is your stock for April? Uh, let me look. Let me see here. Welfare's got mine. Nobody's allowed to take that. <laughs> yeah, Viacom might be pretty nice, actually. Viacom's a value stock now. Yeah. Hey, what about Tencent Music? I've been I thinking about that. I don't believe it is a value stock right now. You don't think so? No. I just looking at its numbers and everything. It's trying to compete with whales, and it's not a whale itself anymore. Is Colonel soft for just me, or can you guys hear no, him? No, he's kind of soft. Am I? Hold on. Yeah, yeah you're, you're a little soft. Away from my mic. Um, you say you don't think it's a value stock? No, I don't. Not anymore. Oh man, this is a this is a tough one. Honestly, you're probably right. That's what I'm going to pick, anyways. I mean, so it's got a fairly it. reasonable price to sale right now. I'm third. I'm turning thirty this month, right? Thirty rock. In New York City, NBC, which is 30 Rock. NBC was once owned by Viacom. Mm -hmm. All right. So all the the reason why I'm buying Viacom is because I'm turning 30. That's my point. <laughs> yeah. Where's your yacht, helped? Are you back in your uh, Hampton in house right instead now. of your yacht? I'm in my yacht right now. Oh, you are? Okay. Got it. Yeah. Are you in like the boiler room? It doesn't look as nicely decorated as uh, as every other room in your yacht. I'm in the guest bedroom. <laughs> got it. Office. I'm sorry. I got to go back to Kush. I'm sorry, fellas, but I'm, I might okay. put some yeah, capital to work. And I really want to like talk about Kush a lot. I've been trying to talk about this. So when I think about um, retail, how much mortar, do you want to put to work? I'll, I'll, I'll cross that bridge when, when there's, you know, a high volatility and, and, you know, people are selling equities. I mean, Kush Tart is not likely going to be a candidate for a sell-off. Let him like finish it's got, it's mostly institutionally held. So if you're gonna, you know, you're not gonna be able to cost average like twenty dollars when it's thirty two now. Ed, finish your point. What's I've your never, point? I've never seen uh, a market correction, and I've seen about five of them. Most of them over ten percent. I've never seen a market correction where everything doesn't get slaughtered. Where my like fifty plus watch list on my stupid Apple stocks app, filled with value, gold, you name it, is not down. I just haven't seen a ten percent market correction where everything doesn't get. Ha hammered in some way obviously growth is going to get hammered more like your portfolio will massively outperform mine on a correction because you because of what you do soft arbitrage inherent value but it'll still go down they're not going to hammer every stock but kush is going to go up disagree uh sometimes stocks go up when the market goes down no but what's the significance of this anyway, yeah i mean sorry. like how what kind of a buying opportunity are you looking for on kush how much money do you want to spend probably five to seven percent of the portfolio into kush okay 
So fourteen thousand. Yeah. Fourteen to to seventeen thousand. Yeah. Okay. I think I think it's pretty reasonable. Yeah, that's fairly reasonable. But like, at what? Um, at what? Um, oh God, what am I thinking of here? Um, at what price? I don't know. I'm more concerned about the the sentiment at the time than the like. I I'm never gonna try to pick a bottom on anything. I just want to buy when like when there's fear. That's that's it. Okay. So I don't know whatever the whatever the price is. And it, and it, and if by the way Moses like there could be a scenario where for the next couple of months Kushtar rips. Let's let's say it. Let's say when the time comes and I'm buying Kushtar, it might be at a higher price than it is today. And I'm okay sure. with that. I well, just wanna, I'll, I'll I tell just, you right now that Kushtard, um is pretty much at its fair value right now. In Canadian dollars, its fair value, according to Morningstar, is 42, and its current close is 40, 40 and a half right now. So your argument is to buy Kushtard now. I would, it's, yeah, I would say now is a better time than any to buy it because it's at fair value, and right now we're in an environment where stocks go above their fair value pretty significantly. Okay, fair enough. I, I can't really disagree with what you just and said. And as soon as they clear their acquisition of Caltex Australia later this year, which apparently is back on the table after the COVID close, um, they'll, they should pump up pretty significantly because that's a big share ad, uh, market share ad for Asia and Australia. Can I just tell you how, funny it is, how hilarious it is that we're like doing deep due diligence now? We probably are the biggest content creators that have ever covered this fucking stock ever in the history of ANCUF. <laughs> Because somebody posted it in my chat. Yeah, probably. Probably. That's right, the future, so bro. Maybe I can finally get to this. Uh, brick and mortar. When I think about what e-commerce has like the least shot at at you know actually disrupting, I, I'm thinking convenience stores and dollar stores. Because when I go to things like Circle K, I go to buy cigarettes or like Mountain Dew. I'm not going to go to Amazon to buy a pack of smokes or Mountain Dew. Um, that's kind of what, what makes me kind of want to kushtard more and i want to hear your guys's take like you guys think that e-commerce is going to disrupt these you know like like i guess what no because because the kushtard's model is unique in that they're the largest con uh gas station attached convenience provider in the in the world right it's an extremely fragmented market and they have a very large portion of that market share um in the united states and eventually internationally Right. So people are somebody saying 7-Eleven will destroy them from the inside. No, they won't master plan because 7-Eleven isn't attached to gas stations. Right. Kushtard makes money at the pump and in the store. 7-Eleven is attached to gas stations in, in Canada, but I'm sure. But not, not internationally. Yeah. You, you said that Asia, they don't have convenience stores, a gas station last last pod. Right. Yeah. They, they don't How? have that kind of a business. So vast, just why? Just so, I don't That's, know. If you guys... It's insane. I don't know if you guys have ever talked to, um, you know, uh, convenience stores owners. They say that they do not make diddly dick from gas. The whole point of gas is to bring yeah, them like into the store. Well, Kushtard, I mean, Kushtard's is, is a little bit different. I'm I'm saying from a legitimate balance sheet perspective, like I've dug into this. They have a 40% margin on gasoline. So, so no, just say, what, you, what, you want my pick? So my pick, uh, real quick for uh, April, DAL. DAL. Airlines, 64 by the end of the year. 
or by the end of I'm the month. I'm staying with Viacom. I'll, I'm actually, curious. I'll actually throw it. I'll throw it at the, at the by the end of the month. I think it'll be at uh, 64. The reason why um, is because we're seeing. I mean, the main reason why it's not at 64 right now is because the market decided to pull back. Like that's yeah. Honestly, like all the all the travel, all of the airlines would be at insane uh, ratios right now. But the reason why I'm specifically going for uh, Delta, and I've talked about this a few times, they have what no other major airline has, and that is a fucking charter fleet. <laughs> like, the, and this, I didn't know this, that. this. This goes back into what you know we were talking about on Sunday, Moses. Or actually, no, no, sorry, uh, yesterday. What was it? Yesterday. Uh, we're talking about it, um, how, um, you know, restoration hardware. We're talking about how, you know, the rich are definitely even more rich than they were. Mm-hmm. So the main difference is, and and so other, uh, there's there's two stocks that will technically benefit from this. Um, obviously, you know, Delta, because they have what they call Delta private jets. It's a massive freaking charter fleet. Um, I think it's the second largest behind NetJets. NetJets is the biggest, and NetJets is owned by Berkshire Hathaway. Go figure. Um, so Burke could potentially see some uh, benefit here. Commercial airlines are getting booked up like crazy, and then Boeing. Boeing be, uh, will also uh, see a nice little uh, boost from this um, on top of it because they're going to need to, you know, obviously get bigger orders, increase the amount of orders that they have uh, for their fleets. We already saw that with LEV. Um, so, you know, Boeing is seeing a nice little nice little uptick on that um but uh you know delta is already getting booked up just to the freaking core um uh you know i have a a side business you know that i i've always kept you know just because it doesn't take any time out of my day and whenever the the flights come in it makes you know a decent amount of money so i'm not going to uh (laughs) i'm not going to ever complain about it i'm not ever going to you know get rid of the business because it doesn't take any time at all um and it has it deals with a charter air charter so uh essentially what they consider me as a air charter broker so you know with that being said what i'm seeing with my clients is that they are uh not able to find crap uh on commercial flights and so with that being said, I am, uh, you know, pretty, um, pretty bullish on it. You said pretty you're clients? Bullish. Yeah. So, like I said, I have a, a this. Uh, I've always had a side business. It's actually where I got my start in my uh, career back in, uh, you know, 2000. I think I was like what December 2007 is when I started as a uh, marketing consultant um, mm-hmm. or marketing professional. And uh, my dad had a uh, air charter business. We were actually a one, part, what they call a uh, FAR part 135 air carrier. Um, so we actually owned our own planes and uh, we chartered those out. I so, played a Microsoft flight simulator one time. So, <laughs> yeah. Good fucking game. Practically the same guy. I still have yet. I still have, oh, actually, believe it or not, what, what's, what's hilarious. Uh, and I, and I kind of crack jokes about this, but um my 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 training before i actually flew uh one of our barons for the first time uh was in microsoft flight simulator <laughs> so, really no kidding well. yeah 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 so my dad would you know he just go through the process with me and yeah it was fun but um yeah too bad uh too too bad i never uh, i never did record i never was smart enough to record uh him and i you know some of our conversations um before he passed away so was, oh, I'm sorry, uh, dude. Rip Papa Colonel. Six. Uh, oh, well, yeah, almost. Well, fuck, man. Holy crap. Um, damn. 
How long? Almost six, almost six years ago. Damn, man. Where are we? Can we get away? some sages in chat. We're seriously away. fucking. Yo, OG man. I'm just. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be real with everybody. That's gonna be a tough day. By the way, it's 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 in a week. It's next Wednesday. Is that um, right? I'm still gonna stream. Like it's, I'm gonna. I'm gonna push through it. Um, you know, because I, I don't want to. But it's gonna be. A, it's gonna be a hard one. It's every fucking year. It's pain in the ass to just go through that one. Um, yeah, because today, today would have been the day that he went to the hospital. Yeah, today. Damn, was, dude. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Tomorrow, tomorrow is when he uh, was the last time that uh, that I spoke to him. Um, he went into a coma right after that. So fucking hell. Yikes. Yep, multiple myeloma. Fuck. I think we kind of needed to hear that though, Colonel, because we get so caught up in the market and like money, and we yeah. we lose sight of some things that are important in life. Sometimes, you know. Oh yeah. Family. Oh yeah. People who love you is so important. That's that's the reason why I, I end every single one of my streams with you know if you haven't talked to somebody um, that you know any of your loved ones doesn't matter who the hell they are even your fucking cousins like just send them a freaking message like on Facebook on Twitter you know text them call them it, it doesn't take any of your fucking time um, my uh, my cousin passed away a month ago and uh, you know I had freaking I hadn't talked to them in forever and she had uh, pneumonia. And I was going to, um, you know, send her a message. I added her on Facebook. I was going to talk to her and I didn't. And she freaking died. Um, Damn, man. Yeah. So that was kind of shitty. Even, um, you know, even like, sorry to interrupt, but even, you, you know, if you, if you know somebody who lost a bunch of money, like, yeah, remember people, you know, it's, it's fun to, this is a great point that you make. It's fun to talk about the stock market and putting money to work and all this kind of stuff. But people really do put like their life savings into things. And a lot of times they do lose a lot of money. And, you know, if you have friends who are new to everything or, you know, like, like Vinny's friend who put his life savings into arc and law, it took eight of 20 or $30,000 loss. Yeah. Right. That's, that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people, you know, and some people can get really caught up in what the money means and everything else. And even in your own life, like if you get to that point where you're trading emotionally or there's people around you who are losing a lot of money and, you know, pay attention to those sorts of things and like talk to your friends who, you know, if they lose money, like make sure they're good. And they yeah, understand but real quick, that, real quick, though, yeah. never kill yourself because of fiat currency. What the fuck is wrong with you? They are printing what? this money out of your hands. Hand over fist. Don't fucking do that. There's nothing more ridiculous than losing your life over money. Especially yeah. when the money means as little as it does right now. Yeah. You see, you honestly, like, I mean, if there's anything the last year should have taught you, it's how fickle our currency and money and this entire economic system is. You know, unfortunately, we, we weigh a lot of importance on the market. And I totally agree with you, Ed. It's worth revisiting, like, the human aspect of everything. Um, the, it's not just about, like, you know, the existential crisis of potentially, like, you know, killing yourself. We're talking about things that are on like a precipice right now. Economically speaking, we're still on like a really unstable ground. People have lost their jobs. They've lost their income. There's more people on unemployment than ever before, really, if you consider the net figures. And yeah, for sure, there's never a reason to do anything harmful to yourself or to think negatively even. Like there's, in my opinion, there's never been a better time to gamble your money. We're at the beginnings of like a new economic cycle. I really, I really do, I really do uh, think that they, like, they I, I, do, I do, I do want to say though, real fast, um, you know, if, if you're in 
you know, a, a situation where you're, you know, feeling really down. You know, I had somebody in my chat the other freaking hour. Well, I shouldn't say the other day. It was about a month ago. Um, they say they're like down 70% of their entire life savings, you know, uh, within G with, with GME. And they asked me, they, they asked if I, if, you know, what, what would I, you know, personally do? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I said that I would probably, so I was sitting at like a hundred dollars at the time or 90 or something like that. Um, and obviously, you know, it fell all the way down to 40, so they would have been down even, even more, but then right after it hit 40, you know, it, it fucking ran and they were, you know, they were just, I, I could tell that they were really distraught over that. Um, but if you, if you are in a situation like that and, you know, just the worst thing that you can do for yourself is by being alone and isolating yourself, go talk to somebody, chat with somebody, you know, um, I've always said this, you know, my DMS are always open by all means. I, I don't, I don't mind. Uh, at all people message me asking needing to talk i've had a few um but again if you are in a crisis situation for the love of shit please call 800-273-8255 like do not fucking wait it's the national is that really the suicide hotline yes so don't fucking wait um there's a three digit number for it now i think it's i think it's 611 if i remember i think it's 611 yeah yeah and i'll i'll add i'll add to that really quickly Every single major hedge fund has in-house therapists for all their traders available yeah. on call during all hours of the day, right? So you think about the kind of toll that that looking at charts all day takes on people who are professionals where they need in-house therapists all the time to have like weekly meetings with them about their performance and how they feel about their performance because so much of their life is tied to their performance as traders. You should, you know, yeah, exactly. Like billions level. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Um, corporate uh, psychology is a major field and tons of corporations of in-house psychologists and therapists that work with their staff to to keep a positive culture. Right. So if if, um, you know, if they're able to do that, then then you should be able to do that, that too. And, you know, sometimes you have to. I'm kind of glad that we have days where like the market is closed outside of weekends. Like this is a four day week, right? We're closed on Friday. It's yeah. good Friday. It's a national holiday. The only thing open are futures and we'll get some economic data reporting. Um, but the I stock market will be closed. 24 seven. Right. So <laughs> I really do. I'm not even kidding. I think the market should trade 24 seven on holidays. Everything. Well, that's what crypto's for. That's what crypto's for. The price gets baked in by the weekend anyways, or by the time that- Well, the, 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 it, I mean, if you want to do that, you should just work in investment banking, and then you can work all weekend all the time, and your market's always open. It, what's funny is like a master plan, but not, not to turn this uh, into like something jovial, but master plan man says, I'll lose my- <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not that funny. I'll lose my life over, <laughs> over Dogecoin, that I know. Listen, um, that was really funny. That made me laugh, and I'm sorry. This is a very serious topic. <laughs> What the but fuck? Dude, you started this, and now you're. Oh my god! No, it's always been. I, listen, it's always been like something I've, I'll never understand. The the key is to get really good at being poor, and then you'll never have to worry about anything ever. Yeah, as that's long right. As happy, just be happy. Just be fucking. Like, listen. Yep. Of all of our ancestors, like our big risk is that we're going to get depressed and do something like that. You're. Are you really? Are you serious? Your ancestors stormed the beaches of Normandy. They defeated Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. My answer. Yeah, my ancestors killed fucking Nazis. That's right. We killed my Nazis my non biological <laughs> great grandfather was in the KGB. We stormed Okinawa. He scalped and Nazis. Had, 
we scalp Nazis and put the American flag at the top of Iwo Jima on the skull of some fucking despot that, that we had to overtake in order to save the world in the 1940s, and you're going to kill yourself because GME goes down? Don't do it. All I'm saying is it's you need you need context, you need perspective. Go for a walk. Don't do it. And don't do it for Dogecoin either. That's even more ridiculous. Could you imagine the embarrassment? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, Family. don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. It's ridiculous. Don't don't do something stupid like that. You're insane. Yeah, don't do that. Do don't. do some diligence instead. All right, off that's off my, something. That's uh, my answer. A little less sad. Boys, <laughs> ready? Selling what? is harder than buying. Change my mind. No, it's true. Fuck behavioral psychology no. or behavioral Fuck economics. No. I I disagree too. I, I'm with Yeah, I think selling way harder honestly, than buying. How? It's changed my mind because every single time that you see a stock that has run way more than it should, you can almost guarantee that shit's coming down, and it's so but, easy to catch that. Shit. But on the other hand, on the other hand, um, it's been demonstrated that individual investors are, and this is just in general, right, are more uh, win averse than they are loss averse. They would rather sell at. Uh, plus ten percent with a possibility of plus twenty percent, and hold at minus fifty percent. Yeah, yeah uh, that so that happened to me. I get paralyzed. I can't fucking day right? trade. I can't. They get paralyzed and losses. I get paralyzed. They, I literally stops, just... and they get paralyzed and losses, yeah. and they keep holding, hoping, with, full of you know, smoking hopium that they go up. <laughs> right. But not only that, and no not selling like their win, not letting their winners ride after getting out of their cost bases. Well, so exactly. Looking, the the winner's ride. My, my Which to vaguely answer Doc's question about Kushtard owning upstream refinery assets. Oh, Jesus. Stop. Stop. Kushtard. Kushtard, when they make acquisitions, Doc, I mean, he asked this question like 20 minutes ago. I got to answer it. Um, when Kushtard makes an acquisition, they buy some upstream assets and they, they sell them as part of the acquisition and capital management strategy to delever. So okay, like when they bought when they bought Cross America Partners, they had refineries mm -hmm. and gas uh, transportation um, <laughs> utilities and um, what's the word it, I'm looking for? Is Hopped frozen or is he disappointed? Yeah, I can't tell. No, <laughs> Hopped is just disappointed. I'm <laughs> still talking about Kushtar. Did he freeze um, in disappointment? Yeah, he's still upset. So yeah, um, no. When like when Kushtar bought Cross America. They managed to sell um, a few hundred million of upstream assets to lower their cost of acquisition per store and bring down their leverage. So, so Doc, to answer your question, although they don't directly own upstream assets all the time, they do acquire them as part of their strategy. They look for companies with diversity on both ends and then sell what they don't need over time. Listen, listen to me. Capital um, management. Considering like something really dark, like ending your own life because GME goes down is never acceptable. But when you hear a question like, hey, Moses, w explain to me the revenue streams of your favorite stock. That's a different story. There's something where you, you might want to consider that for a minute. Oh, my God. The fucking conversation that's about to follow is literally mind numbing. This I need, I need more, Josh. Listen, so man, I, I just I wanted I wanted to say real fast because like I actually have the, the stats to uh, to show it. So my uh, long standing uh, Forex trading, uh, which you can go and, and you can actually see it. Six hundred and seventeen trades. 
387 of them have been shorts. 354 out of 387 are uh, winners, 91%. Um, longs won 300 or 230. Uh, so obviously nearly you know, twice the amount that I, I shorts than I have longs, um, 208 out of 230. So a 90%. So it's, overall, I still got a 91% success rate on uh, this trading, but I will say that uh, my shorts are definitely edging out slightly over, uh, over my longs. Now, obviously there's a big short position that I'm in right now, which is pretty uh, nerve wracking. I'm not going to lie. Cause I'm shorting the ever loving shit out of the pound, the British pound. Um, no, you and... are you, you fancy yourself a little Soros. Yeah. He's a George Soros of our time. Oh, well, I mean, I just, I, I feel that uh, they haven't done enough printing yet. And I feel like they're about to do a shit ton of printing. I have a very strong feeling about it. So um, this year is definitely taking a little bit of a hit as far, you know, year over year comparisons. Um, Cause last year I had a, I think it was what? 30 and see here 36 uh 36.9% uh return year over year um yeah 36.9 so colonel i'm sorry i should have it's my fault i should have i should have been more clear about what i meant by sell i didn't mean shorting is harder i meant selling oh. a selling a position where you're where you're winning oh like it can be a short okay. like what when do you cover like covering yeah. or taking profits is the hardest right. thing in my opinion for Ed, trading I, mentally yeah. though mentally well, that's i think i think well i don't i, I don't well, well, hold on let me finish let me finish let me finish let me finish because from my experience i feel more like shit when i sell a winner and watch it go higher than when i miss a trade because when i have a strategy no it's you're you're betting I'm not, I'm not trying to roast you at, at all. I'm just trying to, I'm being real. Cause this is something that happens. I'm, I know you, you, I know you get this Ed. there's no way in hell he's too soon. Well, UPST was a fuck up on my own. So that was, you know, that was on me. There's plenty of times where I get out of trades and they seem like they're too early. No, there is a specific fucking strategy that I have that I get out at this exact fucking area that I want to get out at where that's a fit. No, you're right. You're right. No, you're right. That I'm making is that I have an overall strategy. We've seen this happen time of fuck ton you know, in, in a single given day, like today, like my active trades looking over my watch list, like I had uh surf rant was actually, it, it fucking died, but um, <laughs> at the end, but it, you know, 8%, uh, Jivo, I'm, I'm sure uh, Moses was very happy about this, but it ended the day 12.5%. Um, DQ was up 7%. Uh, CRLBF, which is Cresco was up 9%. Um, VACQ was up 4%. AFA was up 4% um yeah there's a lot i mean there's a crap ton of like the clf was up 20 percent today x was up over 35 percent over the last four days i mean it, it's it's all about understanding like what news should you be watching like what news should you be paying attention to um and understanding like how like i said it's how certain things affect others once you understand how you know x or or a affects b and and c you know whatever you can have a better idea of how the market overall is going to function in a way that you can profit from that. And you can consistently find these fucking trades. You know, I'm not, I don't find these trades by accident and it's, it's not like it's some fucking magical wand or, you know, you're, you're an insane genius. It's literally that I've been, I have a set system that I have put together for myself and yeah, I, I sometimes lack, but it's also, a risk is part of my risk management strategies. I don't want to sit here and, um, you know, say that, yeah, one day 
I get out of position, it's already up 10%. And it goes to 25. Well, what if I got in all my all my math was right. And I decided to Oh, maybe this time it'll go to that 25%. And then you just watch that 10% come all the way down. And then it goes negative. And then it goes negative 5%. You're less inclined yeah. to get rid of that position once it goes negative than you are getting rid of it being positive. So oh, yeah, like Moses being said, pissed off. Yeah. yeah, I agree with him. Well, I agree with him 100%. Um, that's why I love trailing stops, you know, um, and I like I like scaling out of things. And when you look at what the biggest, best fund managers do, they add and reduce. And I and I think that's something that's sage. So that that's my strat. Like, it, it's a ton of discretion, but, you know, adding and reducing to me is enough strategy in itself. But I was just saying oh, yeah, how I, mean, I, I feel like shit. Tranches, yeah. I don't think that's... Yeah. When you say you feel like shit because you you watch a stock run up that you just sold, like that's not that's not good. You shouldn't feel that way. There's plenty of opportunities that you lose. You know, like you you can't like ra like over rationalize every single decision you make, especially in the stock market. There's always going to be a bad decision. But my decision For not sure. to buy a stock today that went up 100, percent which I guarantee there were a couple at least. Um, it, Wait, did Moses freeze too? No, oh, I'm right here. No. Okay, okay. You were no. very still. Sorry, sorry, Hop. <laughs> no, sorry. I, I'm replying to an email. My bad. Sorry, Hop. Um, go on. No, so all I'm saying is like you don't don't hyper rationalize every decision you make in the market. Like it's okay to make mistakes or what you would consider mistakes. In poker, there there's a really interesting concept in poker called implied odds. And it works really well in the stock market where like if I'm handed seven two and I fold before I see a flop. And the flop comes seven 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 or seven seven two. Did I make a bad decision by folding? No. It's like no, I didn't make a bad decision. I, I made the decision, the best decision I could with with the information I had at that period in time. Yeah. And so a lot of the market is is like that, where I mean, you can rationalize any mistake you've ever made. I mean, I made a mistake by selling my Square stock, and if I knew that Square was going to triple since I sold it, I would never have sold it. But you know, at, at, at the time. Had I known that, would I have made the same decision? No, but I made the best decision I could with the information I had at that time. And I think you, you have to forgive yourself in this game. This yeah, game is sure. a cruel yeah. game. Yeah. You know, if you don't so, forgive yourself. Real, real quick, I gotta I gotta bring up one topic here because I'm seeing people talk about this in chat. All right, this is a big pet peeve that I've had for a very long time. If you go back and you look at you know 2012 and the run that it happened from 2009 to 2012 and what happened you know recently, I don't give a shit what anyone says. Gold and silver are not a fucking hedge against inflation at all. A BTC is not a fucking hedge against inflation Thank at you. all. It is a, you're literally investing in, it's an investment. You're investing into the future financial system. Your, your speculation that it's going to be the future financial system. Gold and silver ran, and you saw it running already before all of this happened. The bond market was, you know, like bond yields, not, not the bond market, not bond prices that we're seeing right now. Bond <clears throat> yields were dying whenever gold was running well why was gold running because electronics were becoming more of a thing and higher demand of gold was being a thing so when there's higher demand of something you saw this we literally just saw this with platinum platinum ran from 800 all the way up to freaking uh, 1300 um in in just a couple of months because there same was same with same deficit. with silver and lots of other precious metals exactly. i mean there's plenty of research Palladium, that i can copper point two that shows yeah. that precious metals are not a hedge against inflation yeah it's not they just don't all. work it's They're not it's, real commodities are the only option demand. 
commodities and and uh, inflation protected securities yeah. are the only two things that are justifiably like recognized as inflation hedges. That's it. So, I'm I'm just saying. So so he, the one thing that I, I have a problem, and people thought they were going to like short squeeze silver, and it's just like oh well, that's silver, fucking hilarious, dude. You want to tell me you're going to short squeeze? One of the widest owned commodities in the world. <laughs> so what my my point was to them is the second he listen, GameStop was a what was it a four four billion before the squeeze actually happened. I think it was even less than that. Um, you know, it, this is a a, a multi billion dollar company. Silver is literally a one point seven trillion dollar market. Like, <laughs> it's, you're not gonna short squeeze silver. And, right. And silver so, is so I want to answer beat something. Beat says our our favorite man beat in here says the banks and institutions are all holding precious metals. They hold them because of their technological value, not because yeah. of their currency use. They'll never be used as a currency. They're not tied to currencies. Um. Second of all, and when they were, it was volatile as shit. Yeah, exactly. Every single gold rush <laughs> caused fucking hyperinflation. Everybody yeah. seems to forget that when they cite gold as an inflation hedge. Every uh, single time precious metals are used in any way related to currency, they hyperinflate like fucking crazy. Okay, so stop it. The second thing, um, people are—I uh, found it hilarious when they said they wanted to short to short squeeze silver when they're talking about SLV, which is like a random. ETN that trades less than 15% of the total market allocation of silver in the world and uh, you know has nothing to do with silver reserves in London which are the biggest in the world or in like fucking someplace in Europe right totally unrelated but they they saw short interest on SLV an overblown overvalued ETN and thought that that was representative of the entire silver market and they could yeah. short squeeze the price of silver. Not even looking at futures, right? right. Not even right. looking at at other ETNs at that own it? more <clears throat> silver. Right? They're looking it, that's the that's the level of stupidity that I talk that I always refer to when I talk about individual investor behavior. The fact that you think you can short squeeze a multi 100 billion dollar commodity One, market 1.3 trillion yeah. Sorry. Oh, exactly. A $1.3 trillion commodity market by speculating, by running up gamma on one ETP that trades a very <laughs> small portion of this commodity is hilarious. That level of stupidity is astonishing. Yeah. Their argument was the level weird of too. misunderstanding they, is astonishing. They were like, yeah, in the mandate, it says that you can demand your physical silver and there's not enough silver yeah. in the vault. So we, we buy the ETF and we demand our silver and then they won't find the silver. And it's like, bro, it's so dumb. On. What are you it's doing? So dumb. What are you right, doing? Real, real, real quick, though, beat um, the what you're talking about. So first off, hyperinflation was especially back in like the 1800s. The reason why we saw a massive, uh, you know, booms of, of hyperinflation and, and hyperdeflation was because the way that the market was set up. So the market back in the days, you got, you should really, you, you say, you know, uh, you should read your, your history books. Well, you probably should do the same because I can tell that you're, you haven't read about, you know, the gold standard and, and the silver standard and how they flip back and forth and how the market set the price. And then you also had uh, the treasury department that set the price and you should go back and you should see this because what happened was is they would change the, the difference between 
and gold and silver prices and then the market would decide and so whichever one was going on whenever it was a silver standard you know you had the market set a price at this point so what you do is you literally take that and you would redeem it you know at the treasury and you would get more money take it back to the back into the market sell that and then you know you'd continue you could sit, sit there and fucking do this over and over again and you could build up you know your wealth just literally by doing that on top of this the reason why there was hyperinflation in the early 19 teens wasn't because of uh, us getting off the gold standard at all um, had nothing to do with that. The reason why there's hyperinflation is because you had multiple things happen. You had uh, legislative things that, that were taking place. You took children out of the workforce. You had World War One that was about to come up. Major electrification was going on. The second industrial revolution was going on. Um, you have massive into urbanization that was going on as well. So like you had this, this huge um, increase of demand and there was also the supply chain was being disrupted because you're taking children completely out of the workforce. They should have done that. Yes, I agree with them, but I'm just saying, you know, what reality is and then on top of that after that was all said and done um you're it, it, it uh you go into like the 1920s where there's even more innovation more uh you know automation even during that time um i shouldn't really call it automation because it's nothing compared to what automation is right now but industrial more industrialization is what i'm talking about so hyperinflation had nothing to do with removing ourselves from the gold standard. You got to remember inflation is not necessarily the velocity of money. It's the perception of higher prices. If you exactly. believe that something is going to happen, then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy is, is the, you know, reality of it because everyone's going to increase their prices because they're worried that, you know, these prices are going to increase. And in the supply exactly. chain, the, you know, inflation happens through that. Inflation right now is happening in financial assets. It's not really happening, you know, within the CPI numbers, like within the CPI, like where, where it looks, you know, for those. So, I, and I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't the saying CPI is full of shit though, bro. The CPI no, is, it is Don't get me wrong. It, it is definitely full of shit, but I'm just saying like, you, you don't see the, the inflation happening there. You see inflation happening elsewhere. That's right. That's so. true. But you would expect that. I mean, it takes time for these things to be reflected in like actual inflation. It takes time for the money to circulate and, and, and actually come to, come to you know arrive in the coffers of the businesses and the people so you know I, I don't i don't think that the fact that the cpi is not reflecting the actual inflation rate which i expect to start to really start hurting people in the coming decade um and, and all this is i mean look we're just playing with levers and incentivizing people to do certain things and we, yeah. to be honest we haven't really been incentivized to save in this country for like 30 or 40 years like <laughs> uh, debt is too so, easy to get man yeah. What's up? Debt is too easy to get. I just took out a sixty thousand dollars student loan at four and a half percent. Debt is Dude, easy my, to get. I just I literally looked at my buying power. Why right should now. I save when I can just get debt for basically <laughs> free? Oh, you get my, buy, my buying power on freaking TS is four to one. And like this is just that's yeah. insane. I I Bro, my other brokerages to bring this back to the market, you know how Credit Suisse is getting all this shit because they're they create financial derivatives that sometimes break the market, like the UVXY fiasco or the volatility mm -hmm. indices. You know, uh, uh, and there was it was funny. There was a guy on CNBC that came on, and somebody linked this in our Discord. Uh, can somebody link our Discord in chat, by the way? They were oh, talking sure. about, yeah, this is an investor in Credit Suisse, and the guy on CNBC. Yeah, David was, Harrow, the biggest shareholder of Credit Suisse. Yeah, yeah, yeah he so, was on Bloomberg. Yeah, and they tried to grill. Okay, it was on Bloomberg. That's right. Yep. They were trying to grill him and like, oh, well, don't you think this is a reflective of how bad this company is? Well, do you understand the market environment that we're in right now? We are incentivizing risk, and Credit Suisse is in the business of monetizing risk. 
Right. And it, as it, as are other uh, bulge bracket banks. And that's totally okay. That that's a that's a, actually a reasonable and totally logical conclusion to come to. Right. That, that's yeah, a cultural I'm, thing. Right. But, and and oh, he was oh, talking. Oh, oh, David oh, Harrow was talking about improving the culture, using his power as a majority shareholder to improve to truly improve yeah, the culture. He's not going to do that. The, well, the he can force. No, he's forcing new people, new members of the board. They got a new guy from Lloyd's in to run uh, operations. They have a new oh. risk management team that's more conservative and better poised. So things yeah. will improve, Nothing's culturally gonna, speaking. I don't fault them for being for being caught with their pants down occasionally. Their their business model is in monetizing risk and in monetizing volatility, and they do a good job at it. And I'll tell you what, I don't mind that it occasionally has problems in there or it has like ripple effects in the market. I think that's totally baked into the cake of, of this type of environment. In fact, if the Fed is going to be underwriting risk, which is what they do, why not just go a balls to the wall? You should be taking out the maximum leverage. Take out the most that you can. I'm on board with all that shit. I think that the more risky you are in this environment, I have a lot of respect for people that are doing that shit. I'm not even kidding. It's true. Uh, your frozen, your frozen camera reminded me of uh, we're going back to Frozen and I can't get it out of my head. Sorry. <laughs> Can we get your camera back? When you get passionate, you you look at you like gaze into your cam. It's very captivating. Can we, can we get? I that? can't. I actually cannot. Okay, dude. You probably need to just turn it off and back on. Unplug it. You know. Yeah. Hey, the the stock picks we got. Uh, XLI, Colonel said Delta Airlines hopped. What'd you say again? Viacom. Viacom. That's right. Um. Can we pick when we want to get out? The end of the or month, does it have to end in the month? It's like, end of the month. Just hey, the, listen, the performers I, in the I month. said flat out that I, I even gave you a price target on that one. I said uh, DAL 64 by the end of the yeah, month. Yeah, that was ballsy. We're that is a ballsy you. price target. We're well, I mean, that. so far I've been right about the damn vaccines. I said 2 million average by the end of February, 3 million by the end of March. I said 5 million by the end of April. So we'll see if that one's going to be fucking Well, right. we'll see how that goes after it turns out that Johnson & Johnson uh, forgot the recipe on yeah. 15 million vaccines. <laughs> well, it wasn't Johnson & Johnson. It was the manufacturer. Th- on, sure. Unfortunately. It was but really seriously, wrong. how do you fuck? Supposedly, yeah. How do you fuck up the recipe, dude? I don't. Because like, people like, what are we making world? fucking Betty Crocker there. brownies? Like, Colonel, Colonel, do you fuck with uh, predicted.org? No. Oh, bro, yeah. you got to get on predicted because if you're predicting shit that has nothing to do with the market, bro, you should fucking go on predicted.org. They got all this crazy political shit. It's dank. You, you can bro, bet, right? I'm not going to lie. I am I was actually pissed off. So there, the one time that I was like insanely accurate, I actually, I, I freaking to the score, to the exact score, I predicted the freaking Chiefs Patriots AFC 2018 game, hmm. like to the exact score, how it was going to end. I was so whenever my friend he, he messaged me, he's just like, So, uh, did you take a bet on that? I was like, Nope, I didn't. We need to stop ignoring, <laughs> we need to stop ignoring the places. Listen, what are the chances the people in chat are like, you know, millionaires? Let's be honest, they can they can thrive <laughs> and survive in a low liquidity environment like predicted.org or like sports betting on Bovada. We need to start spreading our horizons to more other avenues where you can make money. <laughs> well, I've chatted about this. I, I would love to bet on politics for the rest of my life. Every every election going forward, every four years, I'm going to be bet on it. Um, and you know, maybe I lose, but I'll try. I'll try to make money. That's right, baby. And there's never the, You know, it's funny as as emotional as people get about stocks like GME. Imagine how emotional they get about political candidates. And then you see people are putting their money to market based on their politics. 
and it's the most glorious thing ever. I made so much money on the 2018 midterms. Oh yeah. I think, oh dude, I I, like, I underwrit a cruise that we went on. It was fucking amazing. Well, 2016 made me realize how massively inefficient these political betting markets can be strictly because of what you said, how emotional people can get. Yeah. And this 2020 election, a uh, couple of bookies from Vegas were talking about the growth in political betting. And one of like these bookies was saying, in a couple of years, I can see these these you know elections being very large volume, like a lot of players. And maybe that's going to make the market more efficient. But 2016 was just in incredibly inefficient. And so was Brexit as well. I mean, you had, you had Brexit, which no one thought they were going to leave, and they did. By, by no one, I mean the bookies. And then, like a month later, you had Trump. You made a lot of money off. Mm -hmm. It's like, bro, I shorted the five figures. Got bro. Oh, yeah. Let's bro. talk about my 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 SaaS company, my SaaS uh, software startup. Oh, yikes! Yeah, you can see this. Yeah, essentially, you can you can look up uh, Stellar. Uh, S T it's S T E L L A R dot arrow. Um, they, uh, pretty much did the exact same thing that we were, you know, we were building. Um, I was, uh, I was a day late and a dollar short. I was ahead of them and then I fell behind them and I tried to catch up, spend a crap ton of money. Um, that's how I know Steven IRL, uh, Twitch, you know, the, the guy Twitch on TV stash, uh, Steven IRL, if you want to ever check him out, he's a, he, a former bounty hunter. Now he does a lot of IRL shit. Um, you know, so, you know, Wait, that's he's a bounty him. hunter. He was a bounty hunter. He's not anymore. He's retired. But um, yeah, no. So we we had built a uh, you know software startup. Um, I had invested directly about forty thousand uh, dollars over the course of the about a year and a half that we worked on it. Um, I had spent about another fifty grand on personal expenses. Um, so yeah, you know, well, hey, was, at least you can was, write that all off, right? Oh yeah, I mean it was it was a nice little uh yeah. Write it off, depreciate <laughs> the fuck out of it. Good to go. Uh, yeah. You know what? I have a I have an amazing idea. Let's have Moses run for Congress and then when his predicted.org thing comes out, like we'll, we'll we'll everybody will invest in him losing his campaign and then we'll just fucking have him say something ridiculous on camera. Like we'll have him say some like really offensive thing on camera. Oh my god! You want to? You want me to 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 take a hit? He's got yeah, he's looking really bad, it, Take a flop, man. You got a flop. Oh my god! And then we're gonna make so much money, bro. I actually <laughs> do have minimal aspirations to run for office. And you've said that before. At some point, what makes you want to do that, Mo? Do you have like a quench for for power local, in politics? No local change. There's Fair things enough. I'd like to see change at the state level that that I think somebody in the house could affect, you know, there's constituents that, that need change. And there's certain lobbying power you have with your state government. When you're a state representative in the federal, yeah, I was going to say, which, which house are you talking about? Are you talking about the federal or are you talking about the state? Uh, no state federal house, but um, uh, I'd rather be in the state legislator. No, I, I'm not have no interest in being the state legislator. I like the perks of being in the federal legislative. Uh, apartment like, in DC, paid chauffeur, 175k a year, stock. Yeah, you Moses, know, you would sell us out the bat. You'd be, you'd be selling <laughs> us out the Black Rock in like 30 seconds. We'd be fucking owned oh, by like Goldman Sachs in a minute. Yeah, of course. I, I'd really do it for like five, <laughs> ten years. Try to make it on the Financial Services Committee, and then uh, retire and just take speaking fees from banks. Yeah, there you go. There that's the winning, that's Yellen. the winning strategy. If Char I could be like Janet Yellen, 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 like man. 150 grand a month or 150 Damn. grand for one speaking fee, right? That's the dream right there.
and then start a fucking hedge fund. I mean, read a book like it's even easier to do it with with the route that she went. I mean, that's it's even easier there because all you just yeah, do is just get into the uh, the Fed system. Yeah, yeah exactly. System or or get into the Fed system actually. Yeah. Who? Who? Yellen? Yellen. Yeah. Yellen. Yeah, yeah, you guys think Jerome right Powell has unlimit has like a credit card that just has unlimited money? Yeah, it's called the Treasury. Yeah, I was about to say. Ah, it. got <laughs> him. Yo, I, I hate to say it, but Jerome Powell's a bitch. Jerome Powell's a bitch. All right. What makes right. you say that? Yeah. Dude, Jerome Powell is a hard motherfucker. Don't start. Dude, go look up. As soon as Donald Trump started <laughs> tweeting against him, he cucked Go, him go look up. Go he look what? up his legal history, dude. Go, like, actually read his bio. He is a hard motherfucker. That He's dude oversaw some fucking serious LBOs. He's a pussy. Did he go? Did he go to Harvard for law? Uh, I think so. Because he's yeah. a lawyer. He's a lawyer. Yes, he's a lawyer. Yeah. Dude, he Warren. ran with fucking Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon in the 80s. All right? Yo, Savage. you guys can write it down. MSNBC is going to report. Hop91 says Jerome Powell's a pussy. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. <laughs> as soon as Donald Trump started tweeting against him, he reversed course on raising rates. Like, immediately. About all right. Listen, I mean, unless, I mean, Hop, unless you're sorry, he went to I Princeton really want to talk about this. Belfort, unless you're running with Jordan Belfort, you're a pussy. I really want to talk about this, Hop. <laughs> this goes this goes back to like the thinking like eight steps ahead. I don't think I don't think Jerome changed his course on it wasn't about raising rates at the time. It was offloading the balance sheet. I don't think he changed his course because of Trump. I think that was going to happen no matter what. I totally disagree with you. Why? Because because the there market was, no, was in free fall. There's, the market was in free fall, and they were so just saying, reaching max oh, unemployment. Oh, 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 they were oh, like, oh, they were oh, coming. Oh, Ed, Ed, you're saying that the the Fed's job is to is to evaluate and protect markets, the equities markets in the fucking United States. Are you no, kidding me? Their their job is to maintain max unemployment and yeah, keep inflation say. somewhat stable. Max That's their job. Okay. Max sorry, sorry, yeah. my bad, my bad. That, there's yeah, my and, 70 and, IQ and coming out. Point, what what had changed during that that switch between um, quantitative uh, easing and quantitative tightening? In, in employment data, we were at record employment. We're at record. Um, employment. Yeah, sure. We we were, we were up there, and that's why they were testing the waters no, to see what they could get away with. Like, hey, don't you think the Fed is kind of running an experiment all the time? Have you ever heard of Occam's Razor? You think? <clears throat> wait, hang on. You're Canadian, and you're talking about our central bank, dude. I don't know yeah. shit about anything. <laughs> I mean, at all. I mean, not even Canadian stuff. And you should you should look at what the hell Bank of Canada has, has done the last year. Holy fuck. Yeah, that's a fucking disaster. If you want to talk about <laughs> if you want to talk about central bank overreach, fucking oh. the ECB and Bank of gonna, are far worse. I was even, I was about to say like the ECB is even far better than the dude, DOC, e man. Like, ECB's wow. fucking pep program is nuts, dude. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. You want to talk about corporate bond buying? DOC, Holy though? fuck, dude. Yeah, whatever Europe it takes. Is fucking king of commentators. Right, well, let's let's takes, read some know. comments here. Let's let's actually get the chat involved. Ominous Ferris says Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon has the hardest financial gang on the street. Yeah, totally, dude. Uh, Intrepid says Charlie Munger for some reason. I don't know what he's referring to. My fucking PC just decided to shit out. So bear with me one second. Um, Jerome scouting conspiracy oh, theories. Uh, Jerome Powell looks like somebody who's a puppet for other people. I'm sorry, but that's just how I that's just how I take it. He's a hard he motherfucker. I agree. Really? You think he's a puppet for other people? Oh, one for of, sure. One of the people I respect a lot, which I pay for their content, um, they don't like Jerome because he thinks that he's gotten very political, and he, you know he's trying to like, keep his seat in the Fed 
he's catering to the Dems. This guy's like a hardcore like Trumper mm, Republican. He's been pretty apolitical. Anytime they ask him a political question, he says, you know, that's not really in the scope of the Federal Reserve. Our job yeah. is monetary policy. And uh, yeah. that's not that's more of a, a question for the legislative branch of this government. He's always done that, regardless. Yeah, he, of yeah, yeah, he does do in that. Charge or Democrats in charge. Yeah, that's his he's way of always saying stood no. firm on the Fed mandate. <laughs> yeah, okay. But but uh, no, the the only reason why I disagree with you, Hopped, is because uh, the market was in freefall, and like, um, I wish I could say I have a massive track record of corrections, but out of out of like the five six corrections I've seen, that one was not the largest. Corona was the largest. Maybe that one wasn't even like the second largest. But the degree at which the market just continued to slowly bleed for nine days straight into Christmas, um, it was something I've just I just haven't seen before in corrections. Like usually corrections will they'll go hard to the downside. Maybe we'll get a gap up overnight, then they'll correct again during the day. And All there's right. there's like some push forward and back towards like the short term moving mean, averages. But that one was just like talking, selling. You're talking March twenty, right? I'm talking no. about I'm talking oh, about the end of twenty eighteen. Yeah, 2018. Oh, 2018 was, was, was a interest minor rates. credit crunch, though. Yeah, that yeah, was interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's literally interest rates. Yeah, well, that, they was, were, they were, that, was, that was just portfolios shifting and window dressing. No. Yeah. Off I think the back was, of interest rates moving too quickly. Yes. Okay, the perhaps the, perhaps the, you uh, have the to answer consider all the these things contextually. Exactly. Okay. Like, yeah. 16 was algos. 18 was credit crunch. Pretty much all the major crises we have are credit crunches. Let me respond to this. Ed, first of all, you are a traitor to your generation. You, you don't even know. You don't even understand it. The fact that you would defend Jerome Powell for raising rates and 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 not allowing equities prices or excuse me, not, not raising rates, lowering rates and, allow, and not allowing equities prices to correct. To a yeah. With the kind of with the kind of employment that we had at the time, with the, the record breaking economy that we had at the time. The fact that you wouldn't be in favor of buying stocks and equities at lower prices <laughs> as part of our generation is a is a betrayal of our generation. I want you to know that because it's very important that you. I hope your camera was on. I, I want you to look at me in the eyes when you when you come at I me like this. I want you. To, I can't see you. Well, then it doesn't hit as hard. But I am. You are implicitly betraying our country now. In, on the our second country, broad Canadian. Calm down. North America, the entire you, look. You you know you rely on the U.S. dollar. You know you're our. If, if such a, I want to be American so bad. You don't please, even can own you guys just let me in? Can you let me in, please? Fuck we yeah! No, we don't want your kind here. Oh my! Yo, can we get Moses banned? The what? second part. The second part of this is that he absolutely responded to the market. You're exactly right. Yeah, but to the, the market, Trump, not to Trump. Oh, that's my both, argument. Both. But no, no, no I he, disagree. He getting, no, stop, stop. He was getting pressure from Trump, but he was responding to the market. And here's the problem is the fact that you're you have a federal chair that's responding to the stock market, which is as fickle as you've seen it in the past five years or in the past one year. Forget the past five years in the past one year. You should never have anybody in charge of monetary policy that's simultaneously responding to what's happening in equities markets. You might as well have somebody from Wall Street bets, a moderator from Wall Street bets in charge of our fucking monetary policy. Are you out of your fucking mind? Okay, Hop, do you agree that most people are retarded? Yes. All right. I recommend you watch a lecture George Soros did. It's a four-day lecture. It's pretty long, but it's his theory of reflexivity where he covers how oh, he believes that. please don't read me the fucking Soros it's theory so of reflexivity. Good. I love Soros. That shit That's is my so guru. dumb. Soros is my guru. All right? Oh, my God. You I sound like, like a fucking and, moron and Warren, from the 80s. Listen. <laughs> Listen, uh, listen. Soros theory of reflexivity. I'm gonna fucking nut, dude. Uh. 
Shut the fuck up. <laughs> People who sign fucking reflexivity are so dumb. I'm anti-efficient markets. I'm sorry. Yep. So am I, but the theory of reflexivity is not how you cite that, dude. Oh, of course it's coming from a value guy who's telling me, who's telling me Kushitar is at fair value. Of course the value guy is telling me that markets don't trade away from equilibrium. Classic. Classic. Look, Hopped, historically, we need people to step in because, like you said, I made you admit it first, uh. I trapped you. Most people are retarded. And if we left like our financial structure and economy to just everybody, free markets, most people are so dumb, this shit would break. We but, need but, people to step Ed, in and be like, Ed, implicit what? in what you're talking about, he, the, listen to me, implicit in what you're talking about is the idea that our economic health is inherently tied to the fucking equities markets. And that's not a good sign. If our if our country is nothing more than a series of marketplaces for people to trade goods and exchange money, that's not a good thing. We should have something more that unites us as a country than the fucking money and the monetary supply that keeps us all sucking at the teat of Burger King, McDonald's, Target, Walmart, and fucking Tesla. That's ridiculous, dude. I'm not buying it. I don't Wait, want to live in a country where we are you a crisis anytime the fucking equities markets sell Listen, off. Listen, how that's not a good thing to do. For, okay. <laughs> what? Just stop being poor. All right. That's true. No, I mean, okay, it's not that you, hard. You yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Moses. It's not hard to not be poor. It really isn't. Get a fucking job it's, and stop spending your money on bullshit. You have a, a giga chad brain. Hopped. Let's let's try. Let's well, try. I to, appreciate uh, it. Thank you. But that's not what you need to make money. I've seen far stupider people make more money than I do. Let's 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 not. I'm not trying to win this argument, Hop. Let's see where we can meet in the middle, where we can both win. I get the impression that you think that equity markets are extremely correlated with the economy, and that triggers you. And so, if we live in a world where when stocks go down, the average guy gets fucked, I agree with you. That's, I, I, I don't see how you can draw that conclusion. I've never said any. It's it's the exact opposite. Mm, okay, it's the exact on. opposite. The the federal chairman should never be. The Federal Reserve chairman should never be looking at equities markets to determine how he's gauging monetary policy. The economy for the average person in the real economy is completely segregated from the performance of the equities markets. And and in a way they're they're correlated because of monetary supply, but that's that, that should never be some sort of a, a gauge for how the overall economy is doing. You know, we, we live in a world of Twitch and like in equities and like I, I know we're all like, you know, really, really satisfied with our own intelligence in this fucking Zoom call or whatever. But the truth of the matter is most people live in a world where they make they make what they make on fucking on labor, you know, and, and they're not fucking they're not making dividends. OK, are you ready? Go ahead. You ready? Fuck them. Why aren't they getting dividends? Why aren't they investing a portion of their of their like, OK, just, they can't get it's rich true. quick. Feels bad. They were, they, were, they were raised into a wealthy family. They're not trust fund babies. Feels bad. This is a life is a fucking massive game of roulette. It's should, all luck. But, yeah, but they should get involved. So fuck them. I can't feel bad for people that, that aren't taking part of like economic prosperity within equity markets. That's their fault. And then you can argue, oh, it's not their fault because they weren't educated. No one tells them to do them. Sure. But again, fuck you, them. Everybody has a fucking supercomputer in their pocket. Facts, you can't tell nowadays. me you you couldn't get educated. Read a couple Wikipedia pages a day, and you have an education. You can learn st fucking statistics from Encyclopedia Britannica. 
There's literally like a 100 page primer on advanced from simple to advanced statistics on Encyclopedia Britannica for free. You cannot tell me that I, I don't buy this argument that people make that, oh, it's a fault of education. You know what? We live in a country where since its inception, it's been about rugged individualism. If you are going to sit here and rely on the state to educate you, then you are going to be a loser. Period. Period. I mean, Period. I told you guys already, you know, I was a twice high school dropout, twice college dropout. Seriously. It's all self-education. Yeah, that matters. Really if there's any value in education, period, it's it's you should be able to access it easily today. There's the only reason you should try and get into college is to uh, live at home while you do it and collect massive student loans that you can put into the market and make 10% on while you pay 4.5%. Reed Villa says I should stop yelling. Listen, buddy, I'm like three glasses in to my Josh. Moses will know this. I'm sure maybe Hopter Colonel do, but Moses, what was the the theory that like Greenspan or uh, one of the irrational exuberance? That's uh, Greenspan is most popular one. No, what's the what's yeah. the theory they wrote about like the 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 wealth effect? Like if people feel like their house is their house is worth more, they'll spend more. Which one of the Fed yeah. shows like? Um. Like which Fed chair talks about that a lot, but you know, like you know what I'm talking about. There's a Fed chair who really spoke about that. It might have been well, yeah, Janet Yellen been talked about that a lot. Janet Yellen talked about, and 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 so did Bernanke. They both talked about the. Is wealth it called effect. the wealth effect? Okay, it is called the wealth effect. Yeah. So that's, so hopped. Um, Burger, come Yeah, you're that was very much like a commie right now. Hopped. Like you're telling me that we should live. You're telling me we should live in a world where the economy should be booming and the market can just die. Um, I'm saying that the person in charge of a monetary policy should not be looking at equities markets to determine how how to either ease or tighten the 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 supply of cash. No. Well, they, they tell they tell us that they don't. Like the Fed, they look at they, they look say at that they repos don't look at the which S&P. govern equities. I don't they think there's repos. Right. As quick an about face as happened during Jerome Powell's tenure, between raising rates and then immediately lowering rates—that's that's pretty fucking unheard of. Mm, I mean, Bernanke no, did it pretty fast. No, you just have a short-term memory. What did you say, Colonel? Two thousand, two thousand eight to two thousand nine. Yeah, uh, yeah, but that, that was in response to like some macro data in the economy. Well, I and understand, I but it was in response okay, so to the global so the financial same, crisis. The same yeah. thing in reverse. Yeah. In response to the equities market, the GFC isn't global macro data. That's a fucking recession. Wait, what? We were in a recession too. When? What are you talking about? In two thousand eight? Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. What I'm saying is that sure. the, the equities markets going negative is not a recession. There's no correlation with the economic recession and S and P five hundred going down twenty percent. It's just not. It's not real. Uh, we literally define the recession as a slump in the stock market for a quarter. No, we were we defined it as a slump in the GDP for two consecutive, yeah, quarters. two consecutive quarters is recession. That's great, but then that would reflect on equities, which are these companies yeah, that like make part of right. the right equities price in the GDP. No, they don't. GDP has nothing to do with equity prices. Wait, what? True. So, you're, so okay. So 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 if if Apple is making a shit ton of money and contributing massive amounts to GDP. Then no, how no, 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 this is where you lose me. This is where you lose me. I don't I don't necessarily this is this is where your lack of uh bachelor's in finance loses you. No, but no, is you're wrong. I've actually looked this up. I know for a fact that equities prices have nothing to do with GDP. Zero. But it's it's the same concept as interest rates as well. 
I mean, interest rates are going to affect interest rates. It's it's a, it's an overall like it's a symbiotic relationship that I don't think people fully understand. Um, you're you're talking about like interest rates. Interest rates increasing obviously is going to. I mean, I, I even wrote this damn thing out once. Interest rates increasing is bad because overall it's going to cause an overall deleveraging, less credit, less borrowing, less spending means less spending for companies uh, for them to generate more revenue, less revenue equals less ad spend, less ad spend goes, you know, a huge chunk of revenue for the CLK stocks. The reason why tech took such a massive shit was because of this was one of that was one of the many reasons I shouldn't say it's the only reason it was one of many reasons why took a freaking fat shit but you know it's less revenue so overall that's less gdp less gdp slows down the economy slowing down the economy it's a cyclical cycle that it's it's like i said it's a symbiotic relationship it it doesn't necessarily just because there's an economic downturn doesn't mean that the stock market is going to instantaneously die but overall it's going to cause a uh you know either correction or a crash you're you're putting the carpet for the horse here the 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 problem is that he made the decision based on the priorities of the of not the economy but of the market, he put the for market. the economy. Sorry, well, no, for the no, economy. no, no. You're talking, so you're, you're talking about his increases in 2018, right? Real quick, real quick. Mm. It, the way that Colonel laid that out was in such a way to explain how the economy affects equities prices. I agree with that 100. What I'm saying is that to reverse that and say the equities affect the actual real economy is you have to be very you'd have to either be very foolish or you'd have a lot of explaining to do to explain that. Because all I don't right. think it's related well, at all. Well, let's let's okay. Let's not try to get a winner tonight, but let let's let's get these arguments laid out. Like, um, there might be a fine line between where equities can correct, and businesses aren't going to look at their equity price correcting and say, "Okay, our stocks down 20 percent." I don't why know. Are you, why are you looking at this relationship though? I don't understand how this relationship plays into the from from the perspective of somebody who's going to make a decision on our monetary policy. Why would you care about the about the correlation between the S and P and your and your decisions that you have no part to play at all because the because the goal the goal to make people get a fucking job um is to have these corporations give them a fucking job and expand and do projects and lose money and make money so if corporations if their equities are going are going lower and they reach a threshold where they start to panic and say holy shit our equities are tanking maybe we should push back on on expanding maybe we should push back on hiring or whatever that's going to cause implications on the real economy but i also think that there there is a why there's would, a i don't that, that's where i don't understand is the second part what you just said why would they take the the fact that their equities are falling as a signal to scale back operations the the two have no base do, do you when it when a company issues stock they make the money on the first issuance of the stock they don't make money when on the trading of the stock the, because the of the because of the wealth effect Okay, yeah, they could then issue more shares if the stock was trading higher. Sure, like I believe I, in the wealth in the wealth effect. Like if I if my, if my house was to be worth like two million, maybe I'm gonna be a little bit more. I'm gonna spend a little more, be a little, be a little bit more loose with my spending, just because I I think I have like a two million dollar asset at home as opposed to if my house was worth like four hundred k. I would think of my net worth as higher, even though it's not like liquid or necessarily like material or real. Um, I think the wealth effect makes some sense i could be wrong i don't have any like things to prove it but when i think about it the wealth effect makes sense and i don't see how the wealth effect does not come into play in these corporations when they look at their equity price and their market cap the market is a vehicle for mass psychology and i don't think that that's a very a sturdy foundation upon which to make monetary policy i'll end it with that
Wait, so Fair you're enough. specifically talking about like the increases to the interest rate in 2018, right? Yes. Like your main. So, I mean, <laughs> there's a few reasons why that needed to be done anyway. Like that wasn't really Powell. That wasn't, you know, Powell's decision. To you what? Increase? That. To increase. Yes. It wasn't, no, I'm, it wasn't I'm in favor Powell's of the increase decision. in 2018. Um, yeah. I mean, I am too. I, I thought it was definitely an intelligent move. Um but eh, I don't know. At the same time, like that, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that was that was Powell's decision. No, that was Yellen. Yellen was the original um, that FOMC that that those those governors um, and a lot of them, you know, were still around with uh, with Powell. But um, you know, they they made that decision to increase it at the end of 2015. I believe it was um, was the first increase from uh you know no, it, was, the, it was when trump was in office i think it was 2017 no no it was definitely at the end of 2015 because i was yeah i remember that shit because the first, the first one was going to be march uh 2015 the and, first rate uh, increase yeah first the first funds rate increase was let me see i don't think obama had one single rate decrease or a rate increase but i don't think i don't think he did either but i could be wrong the fed took advantage of trump's um fiscal policy because they knew that he was going to provide a ton of, he was going to, you know, deregulate the economy. He was going to cut corporate taxes, cut taxes for almost everybody. So they said, okay, we got this guy who was about to pump a bunch of fiscal policy. How about we use this as an opportunity to scale back on our monetary policy? And that's what they did. And they did, they did it very slowly with quarter point hikes every quarter. And it, it, I don't think it was the hikes that rattled the market in 2018. It was their aggression towards pushing back their supply by saying, hey guys, not only have we just hiked every quarter for like the past two years, but we also are thinking about off offloading our balance sheet. And they never actually did offload their balance sheet. It was just their their tone spooked to the market. And, the, and look, I could be wrong. This is my theory. Tinfoil hats. I'm retarded. I'm not saying that this is right. But my theory is the Fed was like, all right, we got to a, we got to a level where the market's co been correcting a ton. They're not happy with our tone. They, they think we're being aggressive. They're selling equities. If we if we continue with this tone and equity prices go lower, it's going to cause a real implication on the, on the economy. We, we The experiment's over. We've had a good run. We're done. And that's what they did. And then Jerome Powell came out January 4th or January 6th and said that they were not they were going to be patient and data dependent. They, they That's how they were speaking at the time. They went from, they went from saying they were going to raise rates and offload the balance sheet no matter what to going back to this like data dependent and patient tone. And that's all the market needed. And specifically, like I, I watch Fed days intent, like very in, uh, intently and Fed days usually have a ton of like misdirection. Usually the first move on a Fed day is, is the false move. But in this situation, when Jerome Powell came out and changed his tone again, equities ripped. Like I, when I think of like some of the biggest rips I've seen visually, that one comes to my head because the market was so, it was so ready to hear Powell say, all right, boys, we're taking our foot off the gas. Everybody can go back to free money forever. Um, yeah, but I'm retarded, so. Twenty-five basis point increase on uh, November, November 2015. I'm seeing December 16, 2015, 0.25 to 0.5. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, it is December. Yeah, okay, my bad. But yeah, 2016. So that's, that's before that's Obama. Um, and actually, there was a 25 basis point increase uh, with uh, uh, Bernicke, um in 2010. Okay, so I, was... I'm sorry to interrupt. I found the paper I was looking for. Oh. This is a working paper from the Policy Research Department at the World Bank in 1996, which concluded that 
as measured by stock trading relative to the size liquidity as measured by stock trading relative to the size of the market and the economy is positively and significantly correlated with current and future rates of economic growth capital accumulation productivity yeah. growth even after controlling for economic and and political factors stock market size volatility and integration are robustly linked with growth and may be considered a financial indicator okay here here's what i'm saying about about that is that yeah, the, but the fact that they're correlated doesn't mean that they're the, the GDP has no no part of GDP's calculation has anything to do with equities. Correct or no? Correct. Okay, yeah. that's all I was saying. And then like, there's people like AOC who use that argument that you just made as a way of saying that stock buybacks should be illegal. They say that the idea that well, the, stock buybacks benefit ma uh, major shareholders, which I agree, stock buybacks should be illegal because all they do is they benefit major shareholders. They don't incentivize investment into growth. I agree with that too. What, what I'm saying is that there's people like her that have no idea how GDP is calculated. They think that when that happens, that somehow a company is inflating a GDP uh, or GDP uh, numbers by doing so. That was her argument. Well, well she's she's retarded, and her bachelor's degree in economics should dude, have taught her otherwise. This stream's gonna get banned. We've used the the R word like ten times today. We're we're fucked. Dude, I, I should also add the second part of this of this uh, study, which is even more interesting. The second conclusion is significantly measures of both stock market liquidity and banking development as measured by bank loans to private enterprises divided by GDP, both predict future rates of growth, capital accumulation and productivity growth when entered together in regression. These results are consistent with the views that financial markets and institutions provide important services for long run growth and stock markets and banks provide different financial services. Hey, Colonel, you think AOC is hot? I mean, she's all right. All right. <laughs> uh -huh. Um, no. Really? No. Uh, Ed, what do you think? It's all right. All right. No, I right. give her like a four, dude. Yeah, wow. I was gonna give her like a five or six. Okay, she's hot for a politician. How about that? <laughs> she's like an LA three. She's an LA three. She's like dude, a New let's York, talk about New York Sarah Palin. Three? Are you fucking kidding me? You're right. You guys are out of your fucking minds. All right. I mean, all right. All right. How about we settle this with the chat? We're going to settle this with the chat. Sarah had to have some work done. Oh, 100%. And I applaud her for it, dude. <laughs> Sarah Palin was milfy as fuck. Are you kidding me? Yo, let's talk about Kathy Wood for a second. Hold on. Chat, Jesus. rate AOC right now on a scale of 1 to 10. And we can we can get oh, an aggregate. Ed's here complaining about fucking us getting <laughs> Now let's, let's rate people in chat for their looks. That's what do you guys idea. think, chat? Dude, she looks so mean. She needs she her is. fucking teeth. She's a vicious woman, but you know what? Look at those fucking teeth, dude. Yikes. Yeah, yikes. this is a yikes person. Yikes, general. dude. Those fucking killer, those crazy eyes. She likes white guys, though. Boys. She looks like somebody who, she likes soy boys, dude. She looks like somebody who would hack into your fucking Apple, Apple ID to blackmail you. <laughs> yeah, but we, let, let me paint a picture for you. Did you not? Yes or no? Did you or did you not log into Tinder five weeks ago, one week after we started dating? Yes or no? That's a new fetish. Though, I rescind my time. Rose, I rescind my time. Go to xvideos.com and type in AOC deepfake. I reclaim my time. That's right. I reclaim my time. Does she have like a middle finger that's like longer, or like an index finger that's longer than the middle finger or something? What does that mean? Somebody said Google uh, AOC defects. Yeah, go to, go to X, a longer X videos. Com a sign of intelligence? and search up AOC deepfakes. 
Oh, deep fakes. I'm sorry, I misheard. Oh, you. Jesus. Yeah. Well, the, please don't show that on stream. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I was gonna uh, say, yeah, I won't. Guys, take a look on the top right of your screen. Let's be honest. Uh, we're, we're gonna take where we can get. All right. Um. Okay. That's all. I just think no, I think we should ask. end this on AOC deep fakes. She's undervalued. That's all I'm saying. I. She gets. <clears throat> Well, this right. has been the most entertaining podcast uh, for me, fellas. And Hopped, it's nice to uh, go back and forth with you. Couldn't disagree fucking more, and I love it. We, we're This <laughs> conversation is definitely not over, that's for sure. This is actually a fight to the death. I think me and you, there's only going to be one person that comes out on top, and the other person's going to literally die. So there's only me, one way to settle this, Hopped. How is it going to be? A rap battle. Death? Right now. No, I'm kidding. Uh, terrible train for tonight. No, I'm not. Mo, thanks for uh doing that review of the portfolio. And you said you might do uh, I'll have a, some more a big article. Hopefully, well, probably this weekend if I do it. If I manage to find time for it. If not this weekend, then by like Tuesday of next week, I'll have a comparison of like my portfolio and uh yours. Regressed. Sounds good. We'll do. We'll do some ask. back testing. I have to ask. How old are you? Uh, I'm in my mid twenties. Okay, good. Okay, I was gonna say. Why? Because the way that you talk makes you sound like you're in the mid thirties, and I was about to be really pissed off if you look freaking younger than my ass and you're in your mid thirties. No. I was about to be really mad. <laughs> no, I'm not in my thirties. <laughs> not yet. All right, boys. Hey, listen. Thank you all for showing up tonight. It's been fun, Colonel. Thank you for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for being here, Colonel. Hey, uh, post Colonel's uh, uh, Twitch page. In oh chat. yeah. Let's we didn't show even, some shit. Yeah, let's show the Patreon right now. Okay, the Patreon is the links in the description. <laughs> so if you guys scroll down fucking three clicks, you can, on your scroll wheel, you can see all of our socials and links and everything else there. And there's free shit that you can read there too. So go read some free stuff and see if you like it and subscribe if you want to. Yeah. There you go. That's the show. <laughs> and then, yo, check out oh. uh, what Colonel's page too, because I'm going to post that in chat. Somebody post that in chat, please. Oh. Uh, we got Moses. We got him a spot on Benzinga. That's right. We have uh, Benzinga so, Mondays at from three to three thirty. We'll talk about that. That's going to be Sunday's yeah. podcast. Big time. Yep. Yep. Sweet. All right, boys. Yeah, we will see you guys on Sunday. And besides that, let me. I'm going to. Can we raid somebody this time, Ed? You keep of course. We want to raid. Colonel, when can we get you some Patagonia? <laughs> Say what? You need to start wearing Patagonias. If you're truly a day trader and a fin bro. You yep. need to step up your Patagonia game. Hang on, I got some. I got some better for you. Hang on one second. And the loop trading underwear too. One second. One second. One second. One second. Yeah, if this man comes back good. with a we'll hot tub, if he comes back with a kiddie pool. Yo, that's the thing on Twitch nowadays. By the way, that's the trend. What, every what? pools. Every e girl is getting a kiddie pool, and it's hot tub streams. That's like and the. What are they like the sitting thing. in a kiddie pool? How about this? Yes. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Yo, is that that's some eyes, some eyes wide shut shit right there, dude. dude holy <laughs> shit. That's oh, terrifying. Yeah. That is the creepiest yeah, shit yeah. I've seen. Bro, like, how many oh, fucking origins are you going fuck? to? God Hello, damn. Chat. This is the bird. Is mask. that from Victoria's Secret? Long beard? Yes. Is that the black swan mask? Like if something the if bird. a black the oh. bird mask. Come on now. Oh, I don't fucking know. That thing's fucking spooky, dude. That's what they call the plague doctor. Yeah, it's you're oh. wearing. You, you got to stuff the nose with herbs, right? Yeah. So you don't smell the with, death. With hay with hay and herbs. Yeah. You ever try to hotbox that thing? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> that's what he has. Jesus Christ. And I'll send you a video. That's what I'll do. Oh, shit. I got a video. Let's go. I'll send you a Jesus. video. Jesus. All right. Well, I think that's where we call it. All right. Later, Mo. Later, guys. Oh, gentlemen, thank you for uh, going so long. Colonel, nice to have you as always. Um, we'll be back on uh, Sunday. Yeah, yep. All right, boys. We'll see you then. And it seems we're hosting. So I'm taking time away from Jesus to do this. But I'll see you yeah, guys later. Go, uh, go host somebody. Uh, Mo, you might have to do it because you're signed in. I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to do the oh. code, and it's, it's a hassle. Uh, okay, okay. who should we raid? You want to walk you through it? I know how to raid. Who should he knows we raid? how to raid? Who are we raiding? You DBS. I've I've told this guy like forever. I was gonna worry. Can we get this guy going? Okay. I'm gonna send it to you in the uh, Discord. Okay. He's really chill. Um. Okay. Is he playing 2K right now? If he's supporting Take Two, yeah, he is. It's a PGA. He is playing 2K. I got to give the sub. He's a good guy. Uh, Did you send me his like full channel name? I can't pull up Discord, unfortunately. I'll do it. I'll send it to you. I think I have it here. There we go. You got him. I got him. I'm subscribed. I'm subscribed to the guy. Oh, really? He's cool. Yeah, go watch this guy play fucking PGA Tour. All right, guys, take care. Have a good night, everyone. <laughs> Bye, Colonel. See ya. Good stream. Thanks for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me. Anytime, brother.